Blog Talk Radio. I dedicate this song to you Wherever you day, my mama I just want to say thank you Our mama I just sing this song for you Wherever you day, my mama I just want to say thank you For the things you they do for me For the blessings you rain on me Sometimes I lose my way but you still the prayer for me, the sacrifice for me. Oh yeah, yeah, mama. God bless you, oh mama. Yeah, me sure, oh mama. God bless you, oh mama. Mama, yeah, mama. God bless you, oh mama. Yeah, me sure, oh mama. God bless you, oh mama. Mama, you the first wife. See the way you hustle for my kids. Nine months for the belly no be easy But you and your deep pain for my sake One try me sick Home Mama Home Renier Do any of Home Mama God bless you Mama Yamishura Mama God bless you Mama Mama Things you they do for me, for the blessings you rain on me. Sometimes I lose my way, but you still the prayer for me, the sacrifice for me. Oh yeah, yeah, mama.
land of blessing. Africa, land of blessing. Africa, I'm black, I'm proud. I'm black, I'm proud. I'm black, I'm proud. I'm black, I'm proud. I've traveled all over the sea and over the land. There is no place like Africa to me. Yeah, 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 Africa. Nigeria prove to all the world that Africa is the nation Africa Motherland Africa Yeah 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 Africa Yeah 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 Africa Africa is my bright sunshine of Nigeria makes me to believe that all over the world there's no place like Africa for Nigeria is my home I'm black and proud. I'm black and proud. I'm black and proud. I've traveled all over the land and over the sea. There is no place like Africa to me. Yeah, 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 Africa. our society. You give them jobs, political jobs. Oh, you missed the point. It's only the smart ones we move up. <laughs> that makes it even worse. Oh, you know, we have to move them up. If we leave a smart one in the ghetto, he might develop into a leader against us. But if we raise him up into white society, we neutralize him. He feels compelled to try to act like us. 
he loses his identity and uh, his racial anger, if he has any. He becomes alien to his brothers. They realize he sold them out and they grow to hate him. He becomes worthless to them and safe for us. Uh, no, thank you. In fact, in his love for the creature comforts, except for his color, he's become one of us. We'd like to welcome you to Africa on the Move on the 18th day of June, 2023. Our theme today is part two, the play on Africa and African people. That's right. We said the play on Africa and African people. We'll be discussing the theme and other events on today's program, and we'd like to invite you to come and join us by dialing in at 323-679-41. As a reminder of a very important historical event that took place on this particular date, on 18, in 1954, there was a CIA-trained and teleguided force that overthrew a progressive government of Guatemala in 1954. Yes, evil does exist. That was a tragic day to the people. But like always, whenever there is oppression, there will be resistance. We must always remind ourselves that we have the reaction forces that still exist today, and we must be very vigilant. vigilant. We must always be on the dot to fight against unjust and evil. So like always on Africa on the Move, we have a political panel and analyst who will sit in the seat and they will take the heat. As they define it, they will stand behind it. Again, we welcome you to join in. And like always on this show, you know the way we get started with this party is to introduce to you our political panelists and analysts for today's program. I'm Brother Africa, and we'll make our transition at this point in time on Africa on the Move, Blog Talk Radio, to bring in Brother Haki. We'd like to wish him and all the fathers of the world happy Father Day. Brother Haki, welcome to Africa on the Move. Well, Brother Africa, thanks for having me. My name is Haki Tamaki Nishoki. Currently, I'm with African Awareness, and of course, Brother Africa, you know my thing is all about institution building. Well, certainly one of the things, I think, one of the issues that we have to begin to address is the many perils that are confronting the planet. Uh, you, know, um, you know, when we talk about, you know, nuclear energy in particular, and we talk about the, the, the immense threat it poses to the planet, it's something that we got to be very, very much concerned about. Now, the problem is, is compounded when we talk about, in fact, the capitalist system, which is sort of... Uh, indifferent to human life, and so therefore the potential to use nuclear weaponry to the detriment of the planet becomes all the more real. So we've got to be very, very concerned in terms of eventuality and understand that we have to do all in our power to fight against the proliferation of nuclear weaponry, you know, here in the United States and throughout the world. Now, having said that, Brother Africa, that's something I wrote, I think, will provide some insight in terms of the real perils confronting uh, the planet when it comes to nuclear weaponry. I think people will find this very illuminating. In event, uh, capitalism's propensity for destruction is enshrined in its philosophy. This high regard for destruction and mayhem 
belies a system that is incapable of recognizing the benefits of peace. The psychological drive for destruction manifests in every endeavor of life, from creating conditions to ensure children do not have access to proper nutrition, resulting in chaotic life choices, resulting in early death, or systematically, economically exploiting adults, resulting in early death or incarceration, the theme of counseling human life is consistent. Often this tendency to impose destruction on humanity exceeds the mundane to take a great take on a greater dimension of destruction on a global level. Stephen Fry recently released a documentary on nuclear weapon weapon proliferation led by the US. Increases in US nuclear weapon stockpiles was preceded by US unilaterally abandoning treaties with nuclear with other nuclear weapon states under the guise of national security. Ironically, national security is better secured in a world free of nuclear weapons, but U.S. interest does not view national security as a legitimate interest. U.S. interest lies in the maintenance of global political and economic control by ensuring U.S. has sufficient armament to inflict maximum casualties and deaths on nation states to achieve its objectives. Nuclear weaponry serves this end. Now, the advancement of nuclear weapon technology increases the odds such weapons may be deployed in the near future. General Morehouse stated, quote, U.S. has no choice but to prepare for conflict, not just on the planet, but in space as well, end quote. Translated, if we cannot control the world, we will destroy the world. Is Morehouse's words hyperbolic? No, not at all. According to Fry, the capabilities of nuclear weapons and their delivery systems are frightening proficient. Capabilities as, as, as are such, a single nuclear weapon can vaporize everything within a five-kilometer radius, or that's four miles, Kill everything within a nine-mile kilometers or six miles or destroy buildings 20, 20 kilometers or 12 miles away. Currently, it is estimated over 15,000 nuclear weapons exist between U.S. and Russia alone. This proliferation of nuclear weapons are a considerable source of anxiety among most states. Over 86 countries or two-thirds of the world support the Treaty of Pro- um, Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons. Their concerns are well-founded. With the expansion of nuclear weapons, so is the increase of such weapons being deployed by Ara. History informs us back in 1979, NORAD equipment malfunctioned, almost resulting in nuclear missile strikes and a global winter in which few would have survived. This incident occurred as a result of training software that signaled Russia had initiated a nuclear weapons attack upon the U.S. Fortunately, Zelensky, the National Security Advisor, did not tell President Carter in turn saving the planet. Unfortunately, in the event of a similar malfunction occurs, the planet may not be so lucky. Discussion currently exists using artificial intelligence to monitor nuclear weapons launchings. This process is autonomous, and in the event of a malfunction occurs, and U.S. response cannot be stopped because such decisions are computerized. This reality is compounded by the fact increases in technology requires the use of detected nuclear weapons requires split-second training timing to deploy nuclear weapons before the country is destroyed by incoming nuclear weapons. Advancement of hypersonic missile technology occurring hydrogen bombs, 100 times more powerful than the bombs dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, are capable of speeds of five times the speed of sound, or 5,500 feet per second, assuming the air is dry. Now it can be outdone. Russia has created similar hydrogen missile systems. It is report, it has been reported capable of reaching speeds of Mark 27, 3,000 kilometers, or 21,000 miles per hour. 
Whether or not these weapon systems can actually achieve these speeds is debated, and the role of a propaganda to scare, to scare the population into submission is plausible. But the undeniable fact these nuclear weapons, once deployed, will create a global winter where smoke will block sunlight for years is undisputable. Sadly, capitalism destructive ideology is so pervasive that routine dissemination of death is commonplace. Manufacturing systems of destruction to serve political ends is one thing, but creating conditions that imperil life continually on a genetic level is not only insane, but politically evil. In the U.S., on average, 88,000 metric tons of nuclear waste is produced yearly. In opposition to a nuclear regulatory agency bylaws, much of this nuclear waste is untreated. The, <coughs> the process to make nuclear waste <coughs> relative, making them relatively less toxic for storage is not routinely performed by nuclear power plants or weapon development organizations, who instead encase nuclear waste canisters reaching between 800 to 900 uh, Celsius, or in Fahrenheit, that's 1,472 degrees to 1,652 degrees Fahrenheit. Superimposed upon this infraction, the canisters have a shelf life in which they start leaking, they have started leaking nuclear waste into the environment and groundwater. These canisters placed 300 meters below ground, 300 meters or 984 feet above groundwater, have been leaking the many leaks going back to 1940. Leakage that occurs is important to document given the carcinogenic impact on life. Given it has been established, nuclear waste emissions are responsible for cancer, genetic mutations for plants and animals, and neurological disorders, and strong indication producing this waste threatens not the advancing interests of all humanity. This statement is corroborated by science that attests to the destructiveness of nuclear waste. Science explicitly says nuclear waste or radioactive waste, not properly treated to reduce its properties or alter the density of nuclear waste, will result in permanent injury to those in proximity to that waste. Under the heading Contaminated Index Per Liter, where nuclear waste leaks are prominent, African and other ethnic are disproportionately in proximity to nuclear waste disposal sites and waste treatment facilities. South Carolina stands in stark contrast to environmental inequities. Surrounded by four nuclear power plants and the Savannah River, site for nuclear waste storage, it is estimated over 136 million liters of waste inhabits the Savannah River. Make no mistake, the destructiveness of nuclear waste is well known, but the will to limit the scourge does not. The Yucca Mountain, long a depository for nuclear, nuclear, for nuclear waste, has been abandoned by the federal government. Officials acknowledge the devastation of the land, resulting in land unusable for thousands of years. The poisoning of the water tables and medical issues impacting the citizenry were a concern to federal officials agreeing to close the site for now. The remaining problem is this. Where will the waste previously made for Yucca Mountain go now? The federal government is currently proposing $800 million additional dollars for nuclear waste storage and $1 trillion for manufacturing more nuclear weapons. Now, with these expenditures, we can anticipate new sites will be created to accommodate nuclear waste. I guess when you're committed to destruction and it comes so easy, any alternative not committed to destruction is probably seen as an impractical. And so clearly this question in terms of nuclear waste is something that we have to be concerned about and is having devastating impact you know, on people as we, as we said. As, as we speak. And so we, in, in understanding that, it seems to me that we, we have a, a serious, not, if not a political, but a moral obligation to, to, to begin to address these issues and to pressure the government to put an end to the proliferation of nuclear weaponries and the waste that it creates. And if we don't, I think ultimately human society, human beings are going to pay the price as a result of this kind of folly. And I told you that, Brother Africa. Thank you, Brother Haki. Next, we'll make our transition to Brother Moses 
Again, Brother Moses, happy Father's Day, and welcome to Africa on the Move. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Africa, and happy Father's Day to all the fathers. My name is Robert Andrew Moses. I've been in the struggle for scientific socialism from the moment I was introduced to Marxism during the government class back in my high school years, 1968. I call Marxism the race to cure racism. I bear witness that there is one God, Jesus, who is the author and finisher of my faith, and that Mao Zedong is his messenger for government. Fathers, help your children. We don't reverse correct verdicts. I'm pro-choice, and I vote. I bear witness that women hold up half the sky. Therefore, I'm for the Equal Rights Amendment, E-R-A-S. The struggle continues to be to defeat the few by uniting the many around a program of revolutionary, ideologically sound vision of scientific socialism as applies to the world today. And this is this is a struggle that takes place on all fronts, theoretically, economically, and politically. And we not, we must not neglect any front. Um, and let me just say, the Physicians for Social Responsibility, um, I've supported them for years. Um, uh, I think in terms of this nuclear, we we got to get rid of nuclear weapons. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. And from Brother Moses, we will welcome Sister Eleanor to Africa on the Move. Welcome, Sister Eleanor. Good evening, uh, Brother Africa, to both Brother Haki, Brother Moses, and to our listeners in the United States of America and abroad. My name is Eleanor Johnson, and I wish everyone a very happy Father's Day. Today we should not only reflect on the fathers, the living fathers, but our fathers who have passed, our grandfathers, our great-grandfathers, and our ancestors, for the fathers that laid the foundation for our presence here today, who survived Jim Crow, lynching, so many other atrocities under U.S. segregation. So just happy Father's Day, brothers. Peace be with you. Thank you, Sister Eleanor. And for Sister Eleanor, we now bring in Brother Maurice. Brother Maurice, happy Father's Day to you as well, and welcome to Africa on the Move. Greetings, greetings, Pan-African greetings, revolutionary greetings. Thank you so much for having me here today. Again, my name is Brother Maurice. I'm a supporter of of the AAPRTGC, All-African People's Revolutionary Party. I'm an organizer for PRSP, Pan-African Revolutionary Socialist Party, organizer for Slang, Struggling, Living, and Never Giving Up, mostly a worker of the people. Um, happy Father's Day, Happy Brother's Day, Happy Uncle's Day, Happy Happy Great Grandfather's Day to all of my brothers out there, and and Happy Human Day. Um, this would be a lab in a in a human, a worker. Um, thank you so much uh, again for having me on the show. I'm looking forward to a wonderful, uh, uplifting, progressive uh, um, Pan African Ford show. Thank you so much. Thank you, Brother Maurice. At this point in time, real quickly, we're going to take a station break, and we're going to give you a chance when we come back. We're going to make our transition to 
what's going on in your world and the community. And we would like to hear from you, the listening audience. Come and join us as we discuss what's going on in your world and the community. We'll be right back. This is Brother Africa from Africa on the Move. Good evening. This is Charles Collingsworth at the White House in Washington, D.C. For many of you, this will be your first visit to this historical landmark. Our tour through these hallowed halls will be conducted by the First Lady. And your white great-grandfather sold 
killed my great-grandfather and your white-grandfather raped my grandmother and your father stole, cheated, lied, and robbed my father. What kind of a fool would I have to be to say, come, my friend, to the white daughter and son? Good evening, America. This is your president. Please listen carefully to the announcement I'm about to make. After careful consideration and research, Vice President Duke, Congress, and myself have concluded that black people have not advanced technologically. Their educational testing scores are on a rapid decline. The vast majority of them are on welfare and producing babies at a faster rate than they can support them. And we will not carry them anymore. We are left with no other choice but to put slavery back into effect. All blacks will report to the designated camps in their area to receive further orders. The only blacks excused will be those serving in the United States military and the police. Any blacks who do not cooperate will be terminated immediately. I repeat, slavery is back in effect. We are at war! That's what I told you. I know you heard what the president said, and if the nigga don't move, then he's dead. It's time for us to take the stand. Woman to woman and man to man. Blood pressure through your veins, you feel the fear. Who'd have thought that it could happen here? In the land of the free, home of the brave. The year's 95, you're a slave. The rain. 
like to welcome you back to Africa on the Move as we begin to make our transition to our first to our first segment. What's going on in your world and the community? We'd like for you to call in at three two three six seven nine zero eight four one and give us an update. What's going on in your world, your community? We need this information so we can properly understand how our people are moving and how we can best serve our our movement as relates to our people. So feel free to call in and share with us what's going on in your world and the community. At this point in time, we bring Brother Haki back in, and we ask a question, Brother Haki. There seem to be so many things going on in this world and when our various communities. What's going on in your world and the community, Brother Haki? Well, Brother Africa, I got to tell you, you know, you know, what I find disheartening um, is this whole question in terms of people using, you know, uh, spirituality to do very, very things, uh, to essentially pigeonhole people, you know, in terms of uh, defining them or, or characterizing them as essentially, you know, somehow very bad people. You have situations in the Islamic world where bigotry is practiced, and certainly in the context of Islam, uh, bigotry shouldn't be a factor, but nonetheless we know it exists. In the fundamentalist Christian community, we have fundamentalists who systematically um, uh, debase, you know, uh, African youth uh, or, or African people generally define African people somehow demonic and uh, somehow uh, are, are cursed. And this is problematic, particularly when you talk about the role of, role of spirituality and or religion. But anyway, I had the displeasure of listening to uh, displeasure of listening to uh, one individual uh, on a podcast, and uh, you know his uh, his uh, attitude uh, was just very dismissive, very uh, contentious attitude toward African youth was very, very astounding. So I thought I addressed that because I thought it was normally these kind of situations I just ignore this kind of uh, kind of ignorance. But this guy was so convicted, I'm so so committed, committed to you know to his to his uh, nonsense. That I felt that I was imperative that I, I respond to, uh, you know, to to to, uh, to this particular program. But any any then, brother Africa, check this out. Now I had the displeasure of listening to a podcast proclaiming the the presence of demonic spirits affecting the behavior of African youth, taking it back to an earlier time in history where demonic entities informed the beliefs and philosophies of society. This belief came into question as the spirit of enlightenment took hold. This is not to suggest metaphysics or spirituality in the lives of people is non-existent. In fact, for tens of thousands of years, leading at, um, artisans from the Nile Valley civilizations, East African states, Kemet, North Africa, Egypt, India, and indigenous tribes throughout the Americas have instructed their society on the correlation between human consciousness and the cosmic consciousness. Embedded in this belief system is the role of, oneness, of the oneness of all things and the existence of order it implies. I certainly understand the level of dismay expressed in his position and the difficulty reconciling behaviors that are not only counterproductive but destructive at their core. However, it is at this point a point of contention exerts itself into this narrative. Now, behaviors manifested by African youth is not monolithic, and the probability negative behaviors are motivated by cosmic consciousness is questionable, wherein this individual would attribute rebellious behavior of African teens to the shenanigans of Satan I see it as an expression of individual will and not group will, will that is exhibited by you, irrespective of skin color, to express discontent, angst, or hopelessness is universal in all people. In this regard, African youth behavior among those who feel strongly is a reflection of the level of disparity they feel 
and the difficulty of finding a place in a system that does not respect nor embrace God consciousness. Stated in a more palatable way, the demonstrations, confrontations with authority figures, including police, and destruction of property carried about some youth, concretely conveys the level of disengagement among many African youth, like other youth, feelings. And labeling their outrage as demonic, the purveyors of a wrecking system specifically designed to disempower, demean, cripple psychologically, or to block economic advancement based on skin color, ensure such systems will continue to persist, ensuring alienation among youth. By giving capitalism a pass, social conditions like lack of employment, low wages, and poorly funded schools will only exacerbate the level of rage expressed by African youth, not in and reducing feelings of alienation that fuels the rage in the first place. Now, interestingly, interestingly, this tendency to lay complex societal problems on the most vulnerable demographics in society I find fascinating. Such narratives often reflect cowardice and an unwillingness to deconstruct capitalism every social stand against human life. The host, in particular host, states there exists a hierarchy of innate criminality among ethnic groups in the world. Most prone to criminality is Africans, then Latins or, Lat- or Hispanics, followed by Asians, rounding up this hierarchy of susceptibility to crime. He says, specifically, he's only referring to violent crimes. Apparently, in his mind, the transatlantic slave trade, brutalization of Africans worldwide, genocide of, of, a, of the indigenous people, or homicidal wars past and present are not violent crimes. His skewed understanding of history is followed by a supposition in crime is black culture in and of itself demonic. I am at a loss when he conflates resisting oppression, presumably in his mind culture, to being demonically inspired. Then by injecting morality or morality decay world in his words, his reason becomes clear. If African youth were to accept their oppression by not demonstrating or demonstrating their discontent in ways socially unacceptable to ruling elites, this would affirm this would affirm their morality, which is important to, to a new society that is at its core moral, which in itself is very, very absurd and oxymoron at its best. It's very interesting, very interesting supposition he puts forward. Now this sentiment no doubt has its origin in colonial US where spiritual teachings are under control were under control by heads of plantations. Plantations only will pay African pastors to utilize only designated scriptures from the Bible to reinforce the legitimacy of African enslavement, that which you cannot, you cannot change, encourage African people to accept the inevitability of enduring oppression because scripture clearly laid out the notion African people should, should accept injustice in their lives because it has been decreed our destiny. African youth refuse to abide by such religious edict clearly places them in a heathen, heathen, heathen camp, a, a position this host clearly abhors. Now, along with the sustained too obvious, too obvious to overlook, the most the, the moral shortcomings of Africans, only Africans, he says, were a common theme throughout the, the host presentation. Criminality, criminality of African people manifests itself in how African youth wear their hair to promiscuity among African males and females. Now, promiscuity among men, that was very, very interesting. For an old school fundamentalist Christian, this is certainly progressive thinking. He goes on to double down on the criminal propensity among African youth stating, quote, 13% of the population is responsible for 60% of the crime in the U.S., end quote. Implicit in his statement is a level of contempt for African people, even though he is an African himself. Exercising a Freudian slip of the tongue, the 13% he refers to is the total population of Africans in the U.S. rather than engaged socioeconomic analysis that correlates poverty with instant crime within the African community. He inadvertently paints the entire African community as criminals. 
A rather interesting slip of the tongue given both he and his father were in prison for criminal activity, with the father being a drug dealer and his mother drank herself, drinking herself to death. What this host fails to take into consideration, criminal statistics are very political. How police dispose of criminal complaints weighs large. Situations that arise from physical assault, for example, could be ameliorated on the spot or referred to a district attorney to proceed with charges. Statistically, in the African community, these cases are forwarded for prosecution, but similar incidences in white communities are adjudicated on the spot, not resulting in a criminal record for the individuals involved. The ease in which this host casually circumvented social economic factors and aided aggression or antisocial behavior in carrying out crime by all the while using social economic indicators to buttress the belief of inherent criminality among Africans is amazing. It then points to the phenomenon of single-headed households, the assumption being without male guidance, African male youth are primed to be predatorial. The notion of, of the notion the notion of absence of male role models in African home is a misguided concept. If male role model is key to producing well-grounded youth, according to the host, such role models exist in the form of boyfriends, uncles, cousins, grandfathers. Male role models or, or fathers in the home does not negate youth from being youth. If the host was really concerned about inappropriate behavior of African youth, he would work to end all systems of exploitation, allowing youth to obtain a higher consciousness, a consciousness that seeks to build up humanity, not tear humanity down. As it currently exists by the Africans, because the youth are exposed to the capitalist system, they 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 they, they, they duplicate the more the more the mores or the attitudes of the capitalist system, which is simply says that I only care about me and I don't care about anybody else. So as long as kids are in, 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 in inculcated with that such a mindset, then certainly we can understand that youth, irrespective of their color, are going to act in an outrageous kind of way. So clearly we understand that if we're really concerned about in terms of improving the disposition of young people, then we got to point them and look at begin to address how capitalism affects their mind, the way they act, the way they act and the way they behave in a very negative kind of way. This particular host is unwilling to do that. He's more content to blame African people for the problem of African youth and, 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 and to imply that this problem is unique among African people generally. So clearly, you know, uh, just, just, just the principle you split religion uh, to do bad things, uh, I think for me, is very, very problematic. Thank you, Brother Haki. Next, we'll go to Brother Moses. And Brother Moses, what's going on in your world and the community? Brother Moses. Thank you, thank you, Brother Africa. Certainly, we're going to recognize that Daniel Ellsbury passed this week. Um, definitely a patriot and a fighter for justice. Uh, he he leaked the Pentagon Papers and uh, and the rest is history. Um, certainly, we wouldn't be in we would we would be further back in the struggle if he had not done it. Thank thank goodness for him. Bradley Manning and um, um, Julian Assange. Julian Assange is uh, still a political prisoner, and we need to be working to free him because the truth, the truth, the truth is on our side. And um, the big lie by Donald Trump and his "Make America Great Again" cronies will not will not be able to withstand the truth if we all unite and uh, fight for what is just and fair, and Julian Assange must be freed. Um, meanwhile, let's see. The, um, I'm going to leave it right there. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. 
Thank you, Brother Moses. We're going from Brother Moses. We're going to Sister Eleanor. Sister Eleanor, what's going on in your world and the community? Well, thank you so much. On the 25th of June, there will be a uh, demonstration at 1 p.m. in front of the White House uh, in support of Cuba and taking Cuba off the state terrorist list as well as lifting the embargo. That's on Saturday, June 25th, next Saturday. On the 24th at the Westminster Church down on 4th and N Street Southwest in Washington, D.C., as is Lafayette Square in Washington, D.C., in front of the White House. At Westminster Church, they will be uh, uh, formed uh, from 7 to 9 p.m. Um, Secretary of the Cuban Embassy is expected to be there, as well as speakers from the Latin Medical School of the Americas. I hope I have the name right. And those are events that folks should be looking forward to and taking part. And in addition to July 3rd being Julian Assange's uh, uh, birthday, and there is going to be some form of book reading uh, here in the District of Columbia, Washington, D.C. And uh, I would urge everyone that's in D.C. to participate in the 4th of July Palisades Parade. Uh, It's open to anyone that comes and participates and um, wants to stand up and make their issues known to uh, parade, uh, people from all venues tend to participate. I just want to thank you, uh, Brother Africa, for allowing me to be on the show, and thank you, fellow panelists. And I'd just like to add that not only is nuclear war a threat, but we see how Russia has restrained from using any form of uh, its high-tech weapons on the Ukraine, while the United States and Britain had uh, funded, or not funded, but provided uh, the Ukraine with not only training since 1994, but uh, with anti-tank first week of the Ukrainian war, at least, 10 to 13,000, it is believed by some Russian soldiers died and perished in the war. We hear a lot of talk about the draft and drafting uh, soldiers in Russia whom are not trained or qualified, but what they do not discuss is why that's necessary because of the great death toll that this international imperialist war is having on Russia and keeping Russia and the Donbass region from being united with itself and the Black Sea, which allows Russia to have access to its Navy and air bases. Uh, Tomorrow, of course, is Juneteenth Day, And uh, I'm sure there will be festivals throughout uh, 
the nation and uh, the Bethlehem Baptist Church, as Maurice said yesterday, uh, is uh, hosting a uh, forum at 2500 uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Avenue. Uh, the adjacent lot is actually where the event will be. It'll be like a festival with food, music, local artists, and that kind of thing. So the last comment is that in addition to this nuclear threat, drones, the whole world wants to control drone weaponry. But for some reason, the United States and certain countries do not. And we know that the the week the Ukraine was invaded, we had a drone strike on Mogadishu in Somalia. Not we. The United States of America had a drone strike on Somalia, the capital, Mogadishu. And uh, the reality is we need to control these drones as well as artificial intelligence now. And this has to be uh, something that the people demand through legislative policy, both domestic and international. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sister Eleanor. We next will go to Brother Maurice. Brother Maurice, what's going on your world and community? Brother Maurice, peace. Peace, Brother Africa. Thank you so much. Yes, a lot of things are going on in the world. Uh, overwhelmed with a lot of lot of lot of things, and um, won't be. I'll uh, try my best not to be long-winded. Please stop me and interrupt me if I go over my time limit. But I just want to share and not to be. Take your time, brother, and give the people the information. Give them what they need. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, right now, I just want to shed light on African women around the world. Um, our sisters are catching hell, as we know, as Malcolm X stated. Um, the African woman is the most oppressed and the most exploited person in the uh, human being in the, in the world. Uh, and, I mean, his words are still accurate today from the, the news and the, and the current things that, are, th- things, sorry, that, things that are going on in the world. That was weird. Um, things that are going on in the world uh, with 25-year-old Michaela Elizabeth Sharman. Just want to lift her name up. And, 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 and make people aware of her. She was a 25-year-old sister who was burned. Uh, her body was burned, and her body was disposed in a trash can like she was trash in a dumpster by police officers. They did not, as we expected or should be expected, they did not endure any charges. They did not face any uh, jail time. And this is the state apparatus. This is the people that's supposed to... Uh, uh, control and maintain the property of of, of the United States of America, of, of the bourgeoisie, or what have you. When you live under a capitalist system, under a exploitive system, under a treacherous system that put profit over people, this is the behavior you're going to get over and over again among the state apparatus, the police officers, the military uh, complex, the one the big arms, the ones who got the arms, and that's why billions of billions of dollars go into military, because without with the weapons, they can control and maintain their power. So I just want to spread, uh, bring light into that. And, you know, 
as we're speaking with this, you know, most uh, Africans here in the United States or wherever they at, we kind of get stagnated to think and focus on Africans only and uh, out in arm's reach, if you will. Or somebody in the if I'm if I'm in the United States, I'm an African in America. I'm just going to be thinking about and concerned about my way of being for my people in the United States. That's the Eidos movement, but it's it's backwards and it's and it's and it's and it's, it's narrow it's narrow nationalism because we got brothers and sisters around the world. For example, Christopher Elder uh, in 1998 was an African, was a brother who looked like me and you, an African here in America, was murdered in the United Kingdom. Sean Rigg was, in 2008 was murdered in the United Kingdom. Uh, Mark Duggan, the, the list goes on and on, and that's just only in the United Kingdom and in and, and, and Europe. Um where you know where another base, a home base of capitalism. This stuff is going all over the over the world, and and just to make my point, like I said, it's a lot, man. And please stop, man. I'm just overwhelmed, man, because it's a lot. It's a lot that's going going on, and we must wage as as working class people, as the masses of people, as the African people, as we were, we have to. We have to people that love. If you're a person that love people, love humanity, that love, that want to be treated how you want to be treated, that want to, that, that believes in the needs of people should be met first before uh, fattening your pockets, if you will, or, or just um, monetary money. You know, having all of that money while your uh, millions of your people suffer and be murdered and be raped and be killed and be burnt and thrown in a trash can. Um, if you're a person that that put people before profit, please, as of right now, join a political revolutionary organization. If you're white, my brothers and sisters who are white, you have white, um, you have uh, organizations out there. If, if not, you need to build your own socialist revolutionary thinking organization. We need to organ. We need you to organize in rural areas to prevent another Dylan Roof to prevent. Uh, that racist, backward-thinking, minded um, people. Now, as for um, trying to speak to the capitalist system, people that people like Joseph Biden, Kamala Harris, um, the judge, the Supreme Court Justice uh, Ketanji Brown, uh, if I'm saying her name correctly, those people already made their mind up. Sorry to break their hearts for people that love that 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 worship those type of people or, or, or believe in them. They do not have the interests of the masses at heart. They have the interest of maintaining this system. In conclusion, I'm going to wrap up by saying that Juneteenth is tomorrow. And I just want us to keep in mind that, as Sister Eleanor said about an a, event that's taking place, they're going to have food. They're going to have music. They're going, it's going to be a party. It's going to be a soul train line. You can do the rock wobble. You can do all of that stuff and dancing. But please, please. I ask you of, of, of individuals and organizations who are hosting these Juneteenth events, please have political uh, revolutionary workers at your events or organizations at your events to help to, to provide a curriculum that could political educate the child, not just for that day, but in, 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 in entirety for the rest of the year, the rest of their lives. Somebody, so please have organizations like AAPRP, uh, GC, of representative or, or like PRHP organizations that's similar, they got the similar uh, idealism and, and philosophy there 
or ideology, I'm sorry, please, not idealism, let me correct myself, ideology, please have us, these type of organizations, Friends of the Congo, there to spread, to make awareness, not just having that, that, you know, having a party. We need to have a political education, a revolutionary party there to do our recruiting um, so you won't have to prevent shootings like you've seen over the weekend with four people getting killed from uh, uh, gun violence. The gun violence is going to continue until political education. Not Boys and Girls Club, that might be a Band-Aid. Not uh, YMCA, that might be a Band-Aid. Not more nonprofit, that ain't probably be a Band-Aid, a cotton bob, a swab. You're probably just pulling a knife up, a, a knife that's nine inches deep. You're probably pulling it out six inches, five inches. The answer and the solution is political, revolutionary political education. Black Club John, he had a song, Tell the Children the Truth, Tell them the Truth, Tell them the Truth. But in that same song, he wanted to be president. But the only thing that was beneficial out of that song, Tell the Children the Truth. We need the truth. That's the only thing that's going to keep us. Here, people fighting. Thank you. Political organized, as Brother Anthony said, and I hope he's feeling better, organize, organize, organize yourself, politically educate yourself into a revolutionary social conscious class struggle, the fight for a class struggle organization. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Maurice. And, of course, we would like to remind our listening audience that our Brother Anthony is still recovering. And we wish him a speed to recover. Uh, I'm still with your brother, Anthony. And um, we look forward to the day that you return back. Get well as soon as you can. Um, at this point in time, I'm going to start off with Brother Haki. Others can weigh in. I'm going to have all your mics open at the same time. So this is going to be a, just a little discussion about what's going on in our world and community. As you know and look at the history of the, of, of the West, you know that past history can, can, can be an indicator but their present and future history or behavior, their past behavior, a behavior can be an indicator of future behavior. You know, we was, they kidnapped us from ships, and now they're like they kidnapping people like Brother Ali Saab um, by using airplanes. Recently this weekend, and I'd like to have a little discussion in terms of implication of it, and we need to be aware of these possibilities that exist of airplanes now becoming a vehicle, and as you travel, you become a vehicle of being diverted and kidnapped and delayed and doing all kinds of things that are against the interests and the rights and freedom of your right to travel and your right to be respected as a government, as a, as a people, as a person. Now, speaking to this phenomenon, if you are not aware of, because I don't know how many uh, Western newspapers carry this particular recent event, is a brother Haki, I had a little discourse with you earlier on the current president of um Alzania, South Africa. He was on his way to Ukraine and Russia, uh, to meet with the president. Because you know they have an upcoming meeting with Putin, hopefully to attend a conference that's gonna take place by brick, uh, in the upcoming months. And he has intention of being there. While at the same time the West want him to be um captured. And at the present time, the South Africa government is saying they will not participate in no kind of hijacking and break international laws. But recently, um, President Azendi South Africa uh, was on their way to Ukraine and Russia. They had to make a stop through 
Poland, as a resort of making a stop through Poland, his whole entourage, his security staff, it was they were separated from him, camp and were have from going with him to his mission into Ukraine and to Russia. Now, that kind of behavior is very rarely, if ever, is done in terms there seemed to be a deliberate plot and plan to separate him from his security forces, which left him open and exposed him to all kinds of possibilities. I don't know what his future holds by the resorts of not having a security um, team with him, but what do you make of this deliberate plan of uh, hijacking president's security teams, potentially, and um, delaying them from being, from being able to do their job with their, with their president? What do you take and how do you view the danger of that behavior? Again, keep in mind when we talk about the play on Africa, African people, this is a good example in terms of how to continue to try to play Africa, African people, you know, as, as, as someone who don't reserve the proper respect and dignity as if any other country government or people should. Brother Haki, your take on that, on that particular incident? Yeah, well, there, you're right. There is a uh, there is a pattern here. Uh, this kind of um, this, this this kind of bullying tactics. Uh, this, this this wanton disrespect, you know, uh, for the rule for international law, is consistently being uh, carried out, you know, by the United States government. But again, it's indicative of the kind of arrogance, the kind of hubris that so much is part of the American persona. And particularly, you know, when you talk about people of color, uh, there is this long history in American society. You know, there is, essentially, there is no respect for people of color. And that manifests itself in terms of foreign policy, in terms of how the U.S. interacts, you know, you know with, uh, with, 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 with national leaders, you know, around the world. Uh, you know, particularly those who come from, 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 from uh, countries that are predominantly uh, people of color. Uh, clearly, when we talk about Alice Saab in terms of, you know, uh, the... The, the illegality of actually, you know, you know, and you know, placing him in custody, you know, simply for being a diplomat uh, was, you know, which is which is unprecedented. Uh, but the U.S. keep in mind, uh, given the desperation in the U.S. and they want to send a message that in fact they still the top dog, that they're capable, you know, of, of, of you know international reach. If they want to get you, they can. So they want to create that message, and so they they essentially, you know, kidnap uh, Alex Saab. You know, Bunty U.S. is currently in Florida jail awaiting, awaiting trial. Uh, and the reality is that um, even the uh, officials in Florida don't have a clue as to what he's being charged with. So they're, they're you know, so they're playing, you know, so they're, they're trying to figure out a way to justify charges. They're having difficulty in terms of agreeing upon charges. So that in itself is very, very ironic. But again, it's indicative of the kind of disrespect the United States has for, for, for you know, for nations of color. Also, I think, you know, one of the things, you know, so and we talk about this tendency in terms of U.S. hubris, we can't dismiss the fact that when we talk about in terms of your right to travel, there is no longer a right to travel. The U.S. unilaterally determines who travels and who does not. And so when we talk about the human right abuses, clearly that is, that, is, that is problematic. And so I don't think most people come to realization, you know, that in fact that this, 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 this you're, you're down your right to travel based upon any numbers and nefarious claims, is in fact not only unconstitutional, but in fact, uh, in terms of international law, illegal. But of course, we understand the U.S. doesn't care about international law, 
Uh, it does what it wants when it wants, uh, irrespective of laws. But it, yet, it always expects others to abide by international laws. So that's another one of those ironies that in terms of U.S. foreign policy. And finally, Brother Africa, so when you talk about, you know, uh, the treatment of uh, President Ramaphosa, the South African president, in terms of Poland, I think I think we can certainly agree that the U.S. had a hand in terms of the kind of treatment, uh, kind of ill treatment that he received in Poland. One of the things we, we understand is the U.S. is very upset with South Africa in terms of his willingness to embrace uh, Putin's visit to South Africa. Not only that, South Africa's totally international criminal court that Mr. Wendell along a signatory to the uh, international criminal court that we're doing this to ensure the safety of President Putin out of Russia. And so clearly the U.S. wants to send a message to, to, uh, to South Africa that they didn't appreciate, in fact, that um, South African leadership didn't kowtow you know, to, their, to their wishes. And so I think what happened to Poland uh, is, is probably a, 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 a testament to the power of the U.S. in terms of being able to bend you know, these Western states to the to U.S. will to get them to do precisely whatever they want them to do. So separating President Ramaphosa you know, from a security entourage was not only, not only illegal, but very, very dangerous. Uh, you got dignitaries of state, you know, in the foreign land. You know, and the only thing that's going to protect them is their, their entourage. If you take your entourage away, you leave him stranded like that or isolated like that, you increase the odds that something's going to happen to him. And the problem is, Brother Africa, when you look at the history in terms of the United States in terms of COVID activity, particularly when it comes to using chemical agents, you know, to poison people or to kill people or to infect people with various diseases, uh, we got to be very concerned in isolating, you know, um, Ramapo- President Ramaphosa from his, from his entourage. The possibility of him being exposed to foreign agents that's going to eventually lead to his demise is a very real possibility. It's something that we got to be concerned about. But certainly I hope that the people of South Africa understand this indignity. And I'm sure people like Julius Malema understand this indignity, and I'm sure he's going to speak on it. But it's important that the masses of South Africa understand this kind of dignity cannot go, you know, cannot go, uh, you know, um, uh, 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 you know, uh, un, un, you know, unapproached. It has to be dealt with. It has, it has to be dealt with, because this kind of behavior, if left in its own auspices, then certainly we can anticipate the United States by sheer ignorance I mean, and, 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 and arrogance. We can anticipate the United States doing more of this to other African leaders around the world. You know, when they go make these visits, these 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 these, these international visits, you know, to other states. Uh, so clearly, brother Africa, this is a, this is a pattern in terms of abuse abuse of power that is pretty much indicative in terms of U.S. foreign policy because, as I alluded to, when we talk about kind of hubris and racism that is so embedded, this kind of behavior is, 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 is given without a second thought. There's no, no concern whatsoever in terms of repercussions from doing such a thing. They're so convinced, they're so arrogant, that they're convinced that there's nothing that you can do that, that's going to punish them for the treatment that they handed out to Senate to uh, President Ramaphosa. Uh, so clearly, Brother Africa, I, I think this is problematic and it's something we got to be aware of, and I close with that. Um, uh, political panelists, your mic is open. Is there anything you all like to contribute to this particular issue? Yeah. Yes. One, one thing, real quick, uh, and not to cut, I, I hope Sister Eleanor or uh, Brother Moses um, wasn't going to go because that's the order. But anyhow, just want to say real quick that Brother Haki, I mean, I mean, he, I mean, he, 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 like I said, not to be the dead horse, but like, come on, man, it's United States of, of America and, you know, these uh, capitalist Western um, forces, I mean, people know who, I mean, mass, the masses know who you are, and, you know, you don't have to, at this point, 
you don't have to go to uh, school to have a, a you know a public what's called a public education, or you don't have to know how to read and write to understand the nature. People know uh, that the United States government is 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 is, is a treacherous. They the biggest gangster. Um, the United States of America, alongside with these uh, French and the British, or uh, you know the Belgians, what have you, all the Western forces, they are and some of these Arabian forces. But they 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 uh, they are a they are a gangster. So I mean, when we talk when we talk about them um, using the airplane or or, or, or they, by all means, they would go through an airplane. They would bomb your car. They would they would shoot down your airplane. Uh, as they did with their one of their own, if you will, Dag Hammersport, uh in the 1960s, United Nations um, representative. They shot his plane down to cover up what was going on in the Congo um, in relation to Patrice Lumumba. So, and not only that, you got you got another, you know, even uh, Ronald Brown or Ron Brown, who was their own, right? They another one of their own. They'll kill their own to maintain their power to withhold information from leaking out. Um, you know, they shot, from my understanding, interpretation, they shot Ron Brown, uh, Ron Brown's plane down, and show you how treacherous these people people are. Ron Brown was a member of the Democratic Party, and they have a footage of Bill Clinton, <laughs> your president, the United States of American Bill Clinton, as we were saying, and acknowledged that he's a black president because he's he, he got a blowjob, and he played a saxophone. Well, anyhow, I digress. This man was caught laughing in a video footage at Ron Brown's uh, funeral as he was laughing. He seen a camera that was looking at him. Then he, he tightened up his laugh and made it look like he was crying. So these guys are professionals at what they do. Um, like I said, they would get rid of their own, uh, they, you know, to 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 keep their power going, to keep their empire going by at all means. So when you're in a, if you're coming in their way, um, if you're coming in their way um, against their power, if they're a threat, not attacking them, not being a threat as, oh, I'm going to attack them. I'm going to attack the president. I'm going to kill the president. Not a threat that way, but if you're a threat to their economic system, their exploitation exploited system, if you're, if you're standing in their way, from accumulating power from around the world, their land, their labor, their people, their minerals from your from your country. Like, like Brother Hackey said, countries of color. We will you talk about it every day on this, I mean every Sunday on this show. Uh, Africa, when you come in in between their resources, um, that's when they'll develop. They'll, they'll use their NATO forces. They'll use their Af- Africom, their African command posts. They use a black, a black uh, man, uh, Barack Obama, to go smile and sing, play basketball and sing uh, Al Green while he developed a lot of drones on the continent and dismantle Libya and kill Gaddafi. These are the people. You got to understand. We talk about Sankofa. You got to understand the past, the history. This is the legacy of this is what these people do. And power. So when we talk about the United States of America being involved on kidnapping a president, this is nothing new. Hell, they don't kill presidents. Like we said, they don't murder Lumumba. They don't use their CIA forces to try to poison their doctors. They got doctors at the CIA, not doctors to heal like Cuba do, not doctors to uh, prevent sicknesses and illnesses, but they have doctors to create 
and to develop and manipulate illnesses to kill people like Patrice Lumumba, a loving man who told us, told Africans here in the United States, hey, the hell, the Congo's big for all of you all. You don't have to stay there and, and continue to be lynched in the United States of America and killed by a police. Come on home, brother, to your continent of the Congo, right, where uh, Joe Biden, Joseph Biden, Uncle Joe, stated that Africa and the Congo is the greatest thing, and you can Google it. Don't take it from me. Do your research. Uh, this is Biden, your United States president. We're talking about being Ados, uh, America descendants of slavery, and this. Come on, man. I'm just saying. That's that's. Are you kidding me? Well, you got people like Biden who understand, right? Can't take. Yeah, getting mad crazy. He understand. These people understand that Africa is got a lot of wealth. Africa keep these people going. Africa gives them those people the toughest weapons, weapons of mass destruction, the minerals. They understand industrialism, what the criminal was trying to tell us. So once once we get the understanding of that, and, and stop and stop um, hustling ourselves and, and, and psyching ourselves stuff out, you know, we we talk about America. These are, this 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 land of America belongs to the natives. Why would why would you ne- ne- uh, want to negate some of your homeland of Africa? Beautiful as Africa is, and the minerals, and beautiful as the people is, you should be proud to be African. We want to call ourselves something else, but I'm digressing off your top, off the topic. But come on, man, not to be the dead cow, or dead horse, but we already know we should not be surprised. They'll come and kidnap you, brother Africa, if you'll show uh, in us along with us, not you by yourself. We're not gonna single you out. They'll come and kidnap Sister Eleanor Moses. Uh, even even if Brother Anthony is sick, hell, we gotta be careful. They will come and take us out if we if they feel like this show is reaching reaching the masses of people. They are listening now, and this is what they do. So and we not come on, man. We this is we should not be surprised. We should not be shocked. You know, come on, we understand what we're dealing with. I don't spoke long enough. Thank you, Brother Rose and Sister Eleanor. Any comments? You would like to make Brother Moses or then Sister Eleanor? Brother Moses. Yeah. We face with um, a lot of problems, a lot of problems. Uh, and I think we need to study um, study these problems um, and from a theoretical and scientific basis so that we don't just use our common sense as if that's the solution. Uh, uh, <clears throat> I don't know. Uh, that, that is good, brother. Well, let's see what Sister Eleanor has to say. Any comments from Sister Eleanor? Sister yes, these kids, these deaths, and these kidnappings in aircraft uh, makes world travel very dangerous. Um, I had been thinking of the planned meeting in China to stop the Ukrainian war. You know, uh, we hope that uh, uh, no one has been infiltrated the, 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 the Russian Air Force so that Pushkin can even get there. But we have to look at, as you said, how Moak Gaddafi was murdered. I think he was murdered because he had decided that the World Bank and the International Monetary Fund were just uh, victimizing the continent, and he chose 
to tell his fellow African brothers and sisters, come to Libya for the money. Also, when it comes to nuclear waste, and they wanted to have, uh, the U.S. wanted to um, plant or bury this nuclear waste on the border of Sudan and Mali. It was Libya who stood up against it. And uh, it's just a common practice to undermine our leaders and to, quite frankly, kill them. And you know right now the U.S. had also uh, uh, stole that Venezuelan airplane and uh, is holding it because it was doing some kind of transaction with Iran, and we're interfering with two sovereign countries. And in addition to to these deaths, you know, um, I don't know, this is off the subject, but there's this guy named John Ball Jr. who was a Harvard graduate, educated planner, who um, had the largest slave auction so far discovered in American history, where in 1835, 600 people were sold as a result of his death. And he owned over 7,000 acres of land. And they advertised for weeks as far away as 100 miles in Charlotte. Uh, And talking of the people as being a part of the rice culture, you know, because these were rice planters. And what's interesting is that um, about 25 years ago, there was a book called Slaves in the Family written by one of these ball descendants, and they wrote about their family having uh, 167 years of rice plantation operations and this sort of thing. And uh, somehow the book downplayed the reality of all of these enslaved people. And Charlotte was where uh, many Africans uh, came directly from Africa. So um, I know that's off subject, and and forgive me, but I I wanted to add uh, a comment today with, tomorrow, this weekend being June 10th, about the alleged fall dynasty and how grateful we are to uh, ProPublica that uh, first uh, made this uh, discovery and the uh, graduate student who uh, quite accidentally uh, made this discovery and uh, It is uh, something uh, that she shared with her mentors and obviously received uh, an A on that uh, uh, book. And there was another book called The Weeping Times, Memories and the Largest uh, Slave Auction in American History. You know how families were separated because this was the death of the planter. So his descendants wanted to sell off these this human property as well as the plantations themselves and to think of the devastation 
on the family and the descendants and why reparations, how the descendants of these planters are there. So, you know, the descendants, some of the descendants still must survive, even though the police are killing 1,600 Africans a year for traffic stops. But uh, we got to remember Charleston, South Carolina, and 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 all the slaves, enslaved people coming, and how this auction was just in the classified, where they were advertising everything from fruit, knives, and candlesticks to enslaved beings. And a young woman named Davila, D-A-D-I-L-A, made this shocking discovery when she opened an old digitized newspaper and was just looking through the classifieds. And there were over 10 advertisements, advertising in addition to that one, selling enslaved people. And it was done on uh, June 24th. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Sister yep. Eleanor. Uh, what I would like to real quickly tell you, there was an announcement of a major event that's coming up on the 22nd to the 25th. Event around the 25th. And I know that there will be various events, and one event that will be on the 24th will be held at the Westminster Presbyterian Church at 400. That's right. That's right. And Brother Moses, yes, and the point is, Sister Eleanor, yes, I reinforcement. Also, I reinforcement that people need to understand the progressive forces that are putting this together. And there are many groups, and one of the groups that play a major part in it is the uh, DC Metro Coalition in support of the Cuban Revolution. Can you talk a little bit about it, Brother Moses and Sister Eleanor? About the event on Saturday. Yeah, the event is on the 24th of Saturday. Let me just stop you and just talk a little bit about what is the DC Metro Coalition in support of Cuban solidarity. I understand that y'all have a lot of history doing Cuban solidarity work in that region. Yes, um, well, the DC Coalition in solidarity with the Cuban Revolution. It's a coalition of organizations and individuals who are who are in a revolutionary attitude that Cuba should be normalized, the relationships with Cuba should be normalized, and that the embargo should be lifted, and that and that they should be taken off the state-sponsored terrorism list. This group has been been going over ten years now. Um, I think when Patricia Pego was was with the um, Cuban embassy. Here in D.C., she made uh, some comments at the All Souls Unitarian Church back about back years ago, and uh, and the the D.C. coalition was sponsored was started after that event. Basically, um, it was inspired by that event, and um, and it's been going ever since. Um, at that time, the Cuban Five was still in jail, so the the organization has morphed from. In terms of its, its, um, its what it's focused on, uh, when the Cuban Five got out, of course, you know that was good. And so, it's a revolutionary organization uh, of progressive people who 
who think that Cuba should be treated fairly, and uh, ideally people who are proactively struggling for socialism, ideally. But anyway, that's 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 not uh, a prerequisite for joining. But thank you. Ms. Bellamy, what do you think you'd like to add to that? Yes. Um, in addition, um, people, we're encouraging people to contact, they have up till tomorrow the 19th, to contact the White House. We're asking them to literally call the White House and ask uh, President Biden to take Cuba off of the uh, state terrorist list. Now, uh, the phone number to the White House is 202-456-1111. Now, this is uh, so important. Um, The banner, this has been a 62-year blockade. So um, my sister's working in Baltimore all this week to uh, create a banner, and this time they're going to change the wording on the new banner. It'll be adding the message, take Cuba off the U.S. terrorist list. And that's really important. And uh, um, I uh, I just urge everyone to come out to the Westminster Church on uh, Friday. It's worth it to have a day trip from Baltimore, Richmond, from the surrounding area uh, to show your solidarity. And also, let me ask you just a clarity for the public state. You you say Friday. I thought I understand it'd be Saturday on the twenty fourth from seven to nine. I'm sorry. I, I'm I, I, I'm sorry. Let me just take a look at the date. You are right. It's uh, let me see. Um, I see the twenty fourth here on my calendar, but it doesn't say the days. Um, you know. Yes. You know. It's just, Saturday, June twenty fourth. But it is the 24th. Beg your pardon, Brother Africa. It is the 24th. And on Sunday is a, is, a, is a major rally, all that. I assume Lafayette Park across from the White House. And that's on the 25th, that's right. Sunday, June the 25th. And that basically is still here under the band of the National Network on Cuba. Is that correct? Correct. And there are numerous organizations that are going to be involved, but I'm telling you, it's an opportunity for revolutionary people to stand up together and let their voices be heard. And uh, I would urge everyone to who is able, physically able, to uh, be a participant in these two day activities and forgive me for um, uh, giving the correct date but the incorrect days my apology to our listening audience and to my fellow panelists there's no problem we'll make this again before we go out we're in the show so right now you're listening to on the moon what we're going to do we're going to take away a station break, and when we come back, we're going to make our transition to our theme today. 
which is part two, the play on Africa and African people. Don't you go nowhere. This is Africa on the move. There's a new African in the world. That new African is ready to fight his own battle. And after all, the black man is capable of managing his own
We'd like to welcome you back to Africa on the Move. We're going to make our transition right now to part two, the play of Africa and African people. As you see in the African community, why we are getting played, everybody else is getting paid. Why we are getting played, everybody else is getting paid. So recently there's a video documentary on YouTube. If you get a chance, we encourage you to check it out. Oh, I believe it was Democracy Now! that was an interview with Travis Smiley and Kanye West. They wrote a book several elections ago titled The Rich and the Rest of Us. And they raised many contradictions and issues particular issues when it comes to African African people in terms of how they how they see us, how they play us. And here we come around again another election with the same playbook gonna be played again. Really just like to have a little bit of um, a little small discussion on let's stop getting played. Let's see the hype. And one of the things about that discussion that we like to um, have some kind of um, collective discussion tonight on is some of the points or issues that they raised in this interview on Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman was the question of the attitude of Mitch uh, Runme, where he made the statement, I am not concerned about the very poor. They have a safety net. But just a notation of his first statement was as it relates to people who consider to be poor, he's not concerned about the very poor. Panelists, that was your brother Haki. How does that rub you? <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> it rubs me the wrong way. But essentially what he's talking, referring to was what he called the politics of envy. In other words, Mitt Romney's position is that uh, people are essentially poor it's because they lack drive and motivation. That's essentially his point. So the systematic uh, uh, conditions that contribute or make poverty possible, he doesn't address that. Like most wealthy people, he doesn't want to deal with reality, and that's unfortunate. But just to talk a little bit about in terms of so many, so many main points in terms of what uh, uh, Travis uh, Smiley and uh, uh, brother uh, uh, Cornel West talked about. Uh, one of the things he talked about the fact that there's one percent, one percent of the population control forty percent of the wealth. Now, why is this important? Well, when we talk in terms of wealth, we're talking about assets. We're talking about land, property, bonds, stocks, those kind of things. Those things that grow in wealth, or what it does actually increases people access to wealth. So, when you talk about one percent of the population have forty percent of the wealth, you, what you're essentially saying is those people are destined to get richer and richer at the expense of everybody else to become poorer and poorer. And superimposed upon that, we have a situation where the CEOs or the major corporations make 351 times what the workers make. And so that's something fundamentally skewed here in terms of economics. And also, I think one of the things the point they brought home was the fact that you talk about one in two people are impoverished in the United States. So when you talk about people who are poor and people who are near poor, you talk about 150 million people. And of the 150 million people, you're talking about essentially 22% of U.S. children in dire poverty. That is fundamentally fundamentally a problem. And also, you know, when we talk about this poverty, we can't dismiss the fact that when we talk about talk about access, you know, uh, uh, control to income, the top one percent control nine three percent of income. So why is income important? Income is actually the, the, the returns you receive, the money you receive in terms of your investments, 
work, blah, 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 blah. Uh, so, when we, so we talk about in terms of productivity. Uh, as pro- and productivity increases, as the more, you, the more you work, the more you produce, the productivity rises, which means that in the real world, what happens when, the, when, the, when, when by, by workers creating all of that stuff, all, all, those, all those commodities, all those, by creating, increasing all of that, it means that your labor, your pay should also increase in terms of being compensated for the large production of a, for large uh, t- output in terms of production. Well, that's not what happened in the context of capitalism. On the contrary, the more the workers, the more the workers put out, the more the output, the greater the output, the more the workers produce, the less they get paid. And that is fundamentally at odds in terms of a decent economic system, and, and it contributes to the poverty. So when they say that poor people are like drive or initiative, they dismiss the systematic uh, uh, problems related to terms of poverty. Also, one of the one final thing about Africa, I think, is, is this is also important to note. You know, one of the things. You talk about the tremendous amount of um, contradictions in U.S. economic policy. One of the biggest is the fact that you know the U.S. in the 80s, starting in the 80s, early 80s, late 70s, early 80s, started taking jobs and factories and moving them abroad. Well, the, the motivation for moving factories and jobs abroad was, was was for one simple reason: was to enrich themselves, enrich their profits. They didn't care about what the impact on American economy. They could care less. They still don't care anything about the American economy. And this is, in fact, a create, so this creates a, a lot of poverty. And so when politicians talk about the working poor or jobless recovery, it's, 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 it's a name. It's nonsense. Because when you talk about the working poor, one thing is you have to understand that if you work, the whole idea in terms of working is to improve your economic lot. If, if working doesn't improve your economic lot, not only do you become poor, you disadvantage the economic system. So in other words, when they talk about, in essence, what they talk about when they talk about working poor, they're talking about, you know, uh, people who, uh, people who, people, you know, uh, people. Well, let me put it this way, from an economic standpoint, people who have, people who have jobs, uh, you know, uh, like as I looked to earlier, their productivity, what they produce, doesn't keep up with their wages, and because it doesn't keep up with their wages, as opposed to telling people that people are being screwed, that the workers are being screwed, they call them the working poor. So it's a convenient way to, to usurp or to get around the fact that people are producing all of these goods and products, services, but they're not being, the workers are not being compensated for all the producing all these goods and services. And also, when the army is also this question around jobless, jobless recovery, uh, what is very, very, in itself very, very interesting, jobless recovery. Well, certainly one of the ways in terms of the government getting resources is, is, uh, or, or revenues is certainly by people working. When people work, you tax the, you tax the people wages. The government gets revenues. So when you talk about a jobless recovery, it's an oxymoron because actually, if people are not working, then the economy can't recover because the government doesn't have access to revenues. And even though the government consistently provides tax breaks for the very, very wealthy among us, uh, it continues to, to levy heavy taxes on the most on working people in American society. But the problem is that working people' wages are simply not adequate in terms of bringing in enough revenues for the government to do what it needs to do. In terms of you know infrastructure, job, job development, and so forth and so on. Uh, so clearly, when they talk about jobless recovery, all they're simply saying is that uh, you know if they have no intentions in terms of employing people, that as long as they can they can they can increase productivity, get people working harder, one person doing the job or two or three people making more profit, you know, for the capitalists, that's all that matters. And that's fundamentally we have to understand. So when we talk about poverty, we have to understand the systematic uh, the systematic uh, structures that facilitate and aid poverty. And this is important that we, we, 
we, we get this concept because when we listen to the media, uh, they say all kinds of things in terms of demonizing working people, and somehow working people are just inept, they're incapable, they're lazy, they're, they have no job, they have no motivation. And the reality is that they have no control in terms of joblessness when these corporations move their jobs abroad and, and take their and take investments with them uh, to make money only for themselves and not for the for the general U.S. economy. Uh, so clearly, this is all structural. This again, this is all part of capitalism. I, I know I said finally, but just one other thing about Africa is important. I raise this out. One of the things conservatives talk about a great deal, and this was brought out by uh, Brother West and Brother Smiley, uh, Tavis Smiley, uh, is that you talk about um, Income redistribution doesn't work. You often hear capitalism doesn't work. It doesn't work. It's not good. It's, you know, redistribution wealth, it's just it's a horrible idea. But certainly when you're going to look at history in terms of the, in terms of the economic policy that was adopted that was socialist in policy, they were being very, very successful. For instance, L, LB, uh, Linda Bain Johnson Great Society reduced poverty from 24 to 11%. How did he do that? He did it by in terms of taxing the welfare and spreading the wealth. And by taxing wealth and bringing the needed revenue, he was able to expand a job opportunities for people by creating more jobs. And then also a much more a much more healthier safety net for people uh, who couldn't find jobs under the capitalist system. And uh, 1935, FDR's uh, Revenue Act, um, he, he imposed a progressive uh, tax structure on, on the economy. He taxed people making over $1 million a year at a rate of 75%. Now we talk about we talk about 15%, 20%, 20%. Like that's a great deal of money. But this guy, FDR, taxed the wealthy at a 75% uh, uh, 75% tax rate. And increasing the tax rate, he was able to increase the employment. Not only that, to add additional to the, to to improve the employment statistics, 20 million additional workers by creating by creating uh, public works programs specifically to put people to work. Also, he had uh, uh, he created public services in terms of welfare for people who, who could not be accommodated in terms of finding jobs on the rubric, you know, of a capitalist system. Uh, and, and more importantly, he created a situation where the, wage, where the wages reflected the productivity gains of the, of, of the corporation. So as the corporation's input, output increased in terms of what they produced increased, the wages also increased because that reflected in terms of just how hard those workers had to work in terms of increasing the output before this corporation, and that's the way it should be. And, and lastly, I would say that, and I'm not going to go into great detail, but Eisenhower did a similar thing, which he reduced the tax, the tax rate of the very wealthy from 93% to 91%. And as a result of that, he was, he was able to have economic growth at a minimum of 3%, 3, 3, 3% a year, which is a lot in terms of economic performance. Uh, so clearly, Brother Africa, uh, you know, this notion that, in fact, that um, people, poor people are poor because they're lazy, they, they, they like drive, they like motivation, is, is not true. But what is important is that people understand that just in terms of how capitalism is structured, uh, you know, uh, the bottom line is that when we talk about, you know, this, this poverty that's sweeping the nation, we have to understand that at one point this poverty was only pertinent to people who were, who were, who were quote, unquote, the working poor. Now people who are middle income are now finding themselves impoverished or find themselves poor. And that is a function in terms of how capitalism works. And the bottom line, what we have to understand is that fundamentally, this, 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 this increase in terms of poverty or impoverization, or, 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 or it's not, not going to decrease. It's going to continue to increase. That's just how capitalism is structured. So when Republicans talk about tax breaks to the tune of $30 billion a year for the wealthy, you know, starting next month, then clearly what they're saying is that they don't care about the masses of poor people in society and that as far as they're concerned, die. 
And that is fundamentally what the message is sending. Unless people understand that, unless people fundamentally repudiate or reject that message that they don't have the right to live, people who the power of the capitalists are continuing to enact policies which ensure people won't have access to jobs, decent wages, affordable homes, or, or, or quality education. That is a function of capitalism, not close to that. You know, Brother Haki, to play on Africa, African people, when we talk about this issue of massive income distribution and this criticism of, of not considering the poor, it's clear, as you stated earlier, the policies and the practice of mass income distribution, they have always did that for the rich. They have no problem when it comes to the issue of distribution of income comes to the rich. That's right. That's right. And, and I'm telling you something, Brother Africa, and this is this is something that I, I tell you, I, I, I just really just irritates me to no end. But there is a, such a thing in terms of in which, in which, you know, capitalists can borrow against the margin. They literally have situations where they take public money, our money, give it to these people at no expense, and they can use it to enrich themselves. And it's all perfectly legal, borrowing against the margin. And so, so when you think about in terms of the shenanigans that they play in terms of economics, in terms of how they systematically disempower the economy, since they, under, they undermine the economy, systematically doing that to ensure that 1% of the population enjoy all the wealth, uh, when they do that, what gets to me is that the fact that there are many, many people who are poor, and I, I remember going down south, deeper south, and I was in Mississippi, and I was and, and just observing people in terms of some of the some of the belief systems that uh, uh, that they articulated on the streets, and it was very, very interesting. A lot of these people, when you look at them, were dirt poor, but yet they support these politicians who routinely uh, create policies, you know, to their disadvantage. And it's always amazing when I see that phenomenon that you know. This kind of this kind of you know this kind of uh, 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 conscious desire to drive to increase poverty among the citizens. You have people who are impoverished themselves who support the same politician who seeks to impoverish them. So you have people without teeth who are saying, "Oh yeah 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 yeah, I don't like welfare. Welfare not good. You know, welfare bad. Welfare make you lazy. Welfare for the lazy." And and, they, and all this kind of thing. Not even understanding that system from a system point of view that this is all structured. This is all by design. And that when they and their refusal to even look at their own situation in terms of their own poverty, it makes makes you wonder. So I said to myself, you know what? There's something surreal going on here. You know, there's something that's something that's not quite right here. And I've always found myself trying to figure out what is it? Because I like to ask him, I'm saying, you know, to be point I mean, ver 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 point blank. Just ask them, say, Listen, your situation doesn't appear to be very, very good. You know, physically you don't look in very, very good health. Why would you support policy that systematically disadvantage you, that makes it impossible for you to get those kind of things you need as a human being to survive in, a, in a, such an affluent society? Why would you support a policy that is against your own interests? I would like to fundamentally ask them that question and see their response. I doubt if most would understand what the hell I'm talking about, but I would like to ask at some point I'm going I'm to ask that question point blank. You know, what, what, is it, what is it that you get from support these, these politicians' these systems that are fundamentally at odds with your survival. Why do you support such systems, such individuals? So it's a very, very interesting paradox. For me, it's also real, and I'll close with that, Brother Africa. You know, Brother Hackey, we always have to be concerned and aware of the ignorance that they have imposed on our people and be patient with them. But your point is well made, and I'll move over to Brother Maurice. Brother Maurice, you know, when we talk about the play of Africa, African people, it's really interesting how they create conditions and create this uh, narrative 
to Africa, African people are poor. But you don't walk into a poor economy and come out rich. You don't make the kind of wealth on, on people that people are really poor. So I would like for you to speak to this whole idea how they have even gone as far as criminalizing the concept of poor people. Your response, Brother Maurice, or the criminalization of the poor. Yes, brother, brother Africa. I mean, the answer and the response to your question is, is, is quite is, is, is vague, but it's simple. Keep the keep the working class people who they identify as poor peasants. They they took peasants and make it a they made that to a negative connotation, right? When we talk about peasants, we are talking about people, uh, and I don't want to look at. This is what we got to uh, eradicate class system. But peasants are people. Who uh? If you, if you, please help me, brother Africa, brother Haki, or any uh, brother Moses, whoever on on the panel. From my understanding, when we talk about peasants, peasants are people who are homeless, people who are who who who, who live um you know who don't who who don't have a, a home, who who are really struggling. If you if you understand my if you understand my drift, to put it in layman terms, uh, people who are really struggling. Work, we're not saying that the working class people are uh, really struggling, but the working class people have have jobs. These people, the 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 the, the, the uh, population of of peasants, they most likely don't have a job. They they you know they they're trying to uh, survive day to day. Whether it's uh, panhandling, whether it's um, getting fish out of the Mediterranean Sea, uh, you know, on the coastlines of Africa, um, that that's in, that's dying in the mass. You understand what I'm saying? So. They, they, it's quite simple. They they look at us poor. They look at all of us poor. Keep us disorganized. Keep us disorganized. So therefore, they cannot politically educate themselves. We're going to keep them disorganized by propping up capitalist propaganda, creating this pull yourself by your bootstraps bullshit. Uh, uh, basically, this individualistic um, development of individualistic attitude. I gotta get mass. You gotta you, you gotta defend for your own. I'm doing for me. I'm doing myself. It's about me. I'm gonna consume everything while you sit back and watch millions of billions of people suffer and die. Whether that's your cousin, your family member, your loved ones, your wives, whatever. You just gonna sit there with all the like, like a tick. Use a use a parasite. That's parasitic. That's parasite. That's a tick. That's a leech. You're leeching off the people when you do that. That's a tick. The capitalists understand that. Africa uh, is not a poor nation. Africa is not a shithole nation, as what Donald Trump said. Africa is not that. If Africa is that, why the hell are you going to keep going into a, a, a shit, shit, a shit uh, country? Why the hell are you going to keep going into a country if it's so poor and don't have anything, not worth anything, the people so poor? Why are you going to keep utilizing people's labor to get the, to, 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 to extract all of the minerals that built these corporations, these white empires? You understand? Whether it's in food, the automobile industry, diamonds, uh, Cecil Rhodes, whatever. Why you the hell you keep going in Africa if it's so goddamn poor? Why you keep going in there taking our resources and slavery? Hell, you took us from Africa. If we so goddamn poor, why our labor... It is it, a commodity. Why we was looked at as a commodity? Uh, Sister Eleanor spoke on interventions. I mean, in, I'm sorry, inventions yesterday. Okay, uh, 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 intelligence. 
Well, if we, if we support Africa is not poor, and the people is not poor. The people, as Brother Anthony would say, we're disorganized. Ain't about no goddamn poor. If we are the we are, we are wealthy people when we organize. You talking about a what? What is good? Please understand me, real listeners, man. Please, and and I gotta be uh, hyped up and passionate about this stuff because this this is is ludicrous to sit here and continue to to be. We're going to continue to be disorganized and not politically, revolutionary politically, educate ourselves on these systems. There's tons and tons of books that break this stuff down about labor, about Africa, about capitalism, the answer. Not just keep saying on the problem, capitalism, 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 but it's a solution. The solution is scientific socialism. But why would we continue to sit here under uh, and still be unorganized and not politically educate ourselves? The people have a lot of power. We show examples. There's a lot of case and studies. Cuba, not only Cuba, African people here in the country. About 15, 10 years after slavery, we, we build ourselves up with little Africans. I don't want to call them Black Wall Street. Let's that, that's not call them that. We need to stop trying to want to be the Black Rockefeller or the Black, or the black this black man. Cut that out. Because at the end of the day, you're 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 the commodity yourself. Your Jay Z's, your Kanye West. We talking about? There are the commodity. They the commodities. When that capitalist says, "Hey, neo-colonialist, we don't need you no more, bro." You be like the you be like the president in Haiti who was assassinated, or whoever. When they done with you and finished with you, when you cannot no no longer benefit them, you out to the birds. That's capitalism in a nutshell. I think the I think a lot of celebrities in the in the celebrity world got a taste of capitalism. They tell you how they got raped by the music industry or they or the, these celebrities, whether it's MC Hammer, whoever. Oh man, that once I'm, once you get old, an athlete or whatever, your funds run runs dry. You here to build up their entities, their NFLs, their uh, Sony's, all of these corporations. Ain't nothing but a slave. You just slavery. You just a you just a higher you 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 just a um. Excuse me. Well, you 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 use a step infection, uh, as in some of economic sense. You get you 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 made your money, right? But you had to you had to you had to downgrade yourself and your people and your community to get that amount of money, and then you die broke. Your fa- your your family talking about building wealth, building wealth, accumulating wealth. That ain't no accumulation of wealth. The people, the organization, politically, the most the political education, man. Can you imagine? I conclude with this. Can you imagine if the masses of people had a had 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 had, had it was a mass run of books of of the war in Africa by W. B. Du Bois, uh, 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 how how Europe underdeveloped Africa? If they were selling out by the boatload, like other things go viral and Netflix and all that. Can you imagine if we was putting instead of having a collection of tennis shoes and and trying to collect all of this uh, commodity or whatever? Can you imagine if we had a mass, um, uh, 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 it was a mass purchasing of those books and a mass uh, rampant of, of 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 the all African people, uh, people revolutionary party DC and 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 all of these uh, uh, PRSP Pan African Revolutionary Social Party, all these organizations receiving emails by the boatload. Please accept me, organization. When is orientation? What I got to do to join? Uh, what I got to read? I'm ready to go. What can we what what can I study? If you had that way of thinking, oh man, like Malcolm said, it would be good night for capitalism. It would be good night for imperialism. It would be good night to neocolonialists all around this world. We won't have to depend on 
we, we won't continue to think in our mind that we're depending on, on, on this. They're depending on us, man. They're depending on us, on our disorganization and disunity and uneducated, being under, un, unpolitical educated. So you could be, um, and I think Sister Soldier said that on one of the songs we was playing on the show, you, you, can, you can go to, uh, you could be college educated and still come out ignorant. What the what the hell that means? You go get all this education, you, and you can you can still come out ignorant and still do a, just be a disservice to your people. And this is what a lot of um and that's what W. B. Du Bois came to understand. He was like education. I'm, I'm the first nigga from Harvard, <laughs> but he understood quickly that Africa and scientific socialism was a true education. And I conclude. Thank you, brother Maurice, sister Eleanor. When they play African African people, they use different kind of coding, different kind of wording. For example, Sister Eleanor, when they talk about the war on poverty, the war on poverty is that just a, just is that just another way of saying the war on African people, people who are who don't have capital? Your response, Sister Eleanor. Yes, exactly. The war on poverty is the war on impoverished people. It is not to alleviate poverty, but it is to institutionalize poverty. And it is an economic and political war against poor people. And it enriches wealthy people through programs like uh, uh, SNAP because the the merchant at the market or the markets get the SNAP money for these people just to get food or the institutionalized housing where supposedly affordable housing is created. But it's not created for the people. It's created for the investors, the landlords. So a person may be housed paying 700 a month, but the apartment allegedly is 3000 a month because it's being subsidized. So that war on poverty is really a war against uh, the people. And it's now been uh, the, uh, Lyndon Bain Johnson and his wife really started it. And now it's become just an institutionalized part of living in the United States. Now, in terms of Africa and wealth, allegedly South Africa, Egypt, Nigeria, Morocco, and Kenya are the wealthiest countries in Africa. And I'm taking this, of course, from uh, uh, something called Map, a snapshot of wealth in Africa, and this is what uh, uh, this uh, Sam um, Parker and these whites have identified as wealth, and they talk about despite uh, recent setbacks in Africa, uh, the largest economies and wealth and wealth creation has been strong in a number of areas, and total private wealth is now estimated at 
uh, $2.1 trillion. There is also an estimate, uh, estimated 21 billionaires in Africa today. And uh, they really are talking about privatization. The reason Africa uh, appears to be poor is simply because of the reality of all of this resources being downgraded to commodities. You know, everything Africa is selling are commodities and also the currency used in the former French colonies, that CFR currency, is also aiding the impoverishment of African people It's a form of sharecropping on your own land, on your own continent, in that the currency that you're using isn't equal in value to the EU uh, uh, currency or the British pound sterling or the U.S. dollar, nothing. And you're selling oil. You, 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 You have diamonds. And, you know, recently the U.S. Uh, uh, sanctioned Uganda for selling uh, $94 million worth of gold to uh, three or four East Asian countries uh, without uh, the imperialist nation empire being uh, informed. Now, what's interesting um in major African countries, in terms of per capita wealth, uh, per capita U.S., they say Mauritania is $34,000. In South Africa, is 10000 uh, almost $11,000. In Namibia, is $9,000. In Botswana, it's $7,000. Well, we have Africans in the United States of America. In the United States of America that are living on $8,000 a year. So they cannot afford to do anything but be the working poor or the $7,000 bunch are the ones that Brother Hakeem mentioned that can no longer work, whether it's because of age or disability. But believe me, they worked often in their life, of their entire life. The problem wasn't working. It was getting paid for the work that they did and getting paid the market rate for what they did. Somehow Africans are paid less, African Americans, because we have to distinguish just briefly the immigrant experience in the United States versus the descendants of the formerly enslaved people. Those people today are still earning chattel wages. And they do some of the frontline jobs, whether it's cleaning the streets, being the clerk in the grocery store. These people are working and working hard, and they are on their feet. 
all day just to earn uh, a living, to be able to receive SNAP benefits, subsidized housing, and Medicaid. This is an outrage for what we call the world's wealthiest country. If we would cut back on the military budget and focus on rebuilding the infrastructure in this country, uh, reinstate an old WPA kind of project or a CETA project like uh, there was in the 70s, where the workers actually earn a livable wage and rebuild the infrastructure, the streets, the highways. And this public giveaway of land to the rich is another outrageous thing that's happening. It's a practice in the capital of the United States, Washington, D.C., to give away fire stations, school buildings, um, uh, park land, um, uh, plazas, green spaces, not formally, but green spaces because they're classified as surplus um, properties not in use by the public with no consideration for prosperity for the future generations. So the war on poverty is the war on people. And and the lack of access to reasonable medical care is a great part of that. In that in a city like the District of Columbia where everyone is insured, people are still being misdiagnosed, not diagnosed, berated and insulted. I was recently at George Washington University Hospital where I was surrounded by Africans. One young 19-year-old was handcuffed to a bed for doing what? Eating uh, gummies or edibles called elderberries at Georgetown's waterfront, where apparently it was storming on Friday. So she had, was, they were covered up and appeared odd. So she was arrested was simply mouthing off at the police, and the charge was resisting arrest. There was a senior citizen who had an asthma attack. Now, one minute. You have to get thought. One minute. But the, what, the point is, is that uh, it, they're killing the people. They're killing the people. I saw uh, or heard a woman in cardiac arrest die in one of the four hospitals uh, operated in the District of Columbia, the nation's capital. So the war on poverty, you know you had a chocolate city, and what's left of it is called uh, is, is an aging population. It's become Vanilla Villa, and the people that are there, uh, where there once were nine hospitals, and only 200,000 people, there are quarters of a million people, and only four hospitals. MedStar operates um, two facilities. Uh, Howard University has one. 
which they're uh, having to sell because of economic difficulty. George Washington University has another, and Sibley is the other. So we see uh, uh, medical deserts, we see food deserts throughout the United States, and this is war on pop. This is called war on the people, and the same is for Africa, where the miners and different people are just impoverished while they are used children are digging to uh, for these resources to enrich the West, to enrich Europe, the United States, and the EU, and the, the, the wealthy imperialists. And we're still moving towards an Five autocratic seconds. society of fascism. Thank you, my sister. What we're going to do right now, we're going to still stay on the course, because we're going to be a little bit off the course. But well, we have a little special guest right now. We have, I believe we have Brother Kamal Benjamin with the D.C. Metro Coalition and Solidarity with the Cuban Revolution, as well as the organizers for the All-African People's Revolution Party, G.C. I believe this is Brother Kamal, 5827-27. Last phone number, Brother Kamal, welcome to Africa on the Move. I say revolutionary greetings, Africans, and everyone everyone else uh, we're glad to be here we're glad to be in the presence of you all and we thank lee for having this wondrous program that he could give information about the struggle of african people and oppressed people here and around the world so i say greetings Brother Lee, Eleanor, and everyone else. You know, Brother Kamal, we believe in giving our people their roses while they are living. And we know the people make history, but we also know individuals sometimes have a great impact on the behavior and the movement of the people. Now, there's an event coming up this weekend dealing with Cuba. And when we talk about Cuba, we also talk about a country that has a great compassion for the down and out, for those who are oppressed, for those that some may call poor. What I would like to do first and foremost, in terms of your organization, and I believe you're one of the founders of the organization, what have you, from your perspective, talk just a little bit about the D.C. Metro Coalition, it works, and why it came into existence. Well, um DC Metro Coalition, believe it or not, um, this aspect of uh, the, the coalition came into being as a result of the Cuba Five. If any of you know about Cuba Five and why they were here in the USA, uh, the Cuba Five were here because they were trying to find out what the other Cubans were doing in reference to their tax upon Cuba, the motherland. They were, if you want to call them, spying on Cubans out of, out of, out of Miami to, to make sure that they, could, they were confronted and they could be prepared for any onslaught that these Cubans were having. If you remember, if we can go back to the Bay of Pigs. Uh, where the U.S. funded 
finance Cubans uh, to attack Cuba, the mainland, after the, the Cuban Revolution. Of course, they were beaten back by the, the by the by the organization and the revolution of, of Cuba. So uh, uh, we have, uh, as 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 Lee has stated, with the All African People's Revolutionary Party, we've been in, in alliance and contacts with other struggling revolutions uh, with African population, which Cuba has a has a, a sizable number of. Over half the Cubans are or African or of African descent, so we've always had an allegiance with with, with Cuba since the revolution. So, um, and to make a long story short, these Cubans, the Cuba Five, were were coming here to spy on the, the what we call gusanos, the, the Cubans that were attacking and planning attacks against Cuba. With the assistance, of course, of the USA uh, and and the other oppressors, of, uh, or, or the alliance of of, uh, of 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 countries that were aligned with capitalist U.S. policies, and so they were um, caught up. They were being they were caught and incarcerated unjustly. Uh, because they weren't doing anything against the USA. They were trying to counteract what was happening with the Cubans that were attacking Cuba. But uh, as, as, as was stated, they were incarcerated. So the D.C. Metro Coalition came into being a number of organizations, the All-African People's Revolutionary Party, the, the Socialist Workers' Party, the Communist uh, Party, and, and any other uh uh, uh, parties and individuals that were in support of the Cuban Revolution. So that's how the coalition, D.C. Metro, came into being. Now, there are other coalitions around the country, New York, Miami, Minnesota. I mean, they're all over in support of Cuba and the Cuban Revolution. So uh, a number of organizations here, as I stated, came together, and we decided to rally and support the Cuban Revolution, and we decided to call ourselves the D.C. Metro Coalition in alliance with the Cuban Revolution. So we've been together, for an estimate, we've been together over four, over 10 years, because before the D.C. Metro Coalition came into being, there, we were together with the uh, a group called the No War on, I mean, the No War on Cuba. And they were also made of, of, of a number of individuals and, and organizations that were in sympathy uh, and supportive of the Cuban Revolution. So that struggle has been going on for over 10 years, for ever since the Cuban Revolution, 62 years ago, really. Uh, we have been in, in support of Cuba. We've been going back and forth to Cuba. Uh, and, uh, you know, we've been here for for some some time telling you about the struggles we have and the harassment that we have been been having uh going back and forth to Cuba. Um uh we've most times before Obama administration we had to go through Canada and Mexico and the Bahamas uh to give to, to give you some reference to our to our experience before we could go to Cuba. 
We've just only been going back and forth to Cuba, uh, direct flights, that is, since the Obama administration. But recently, some 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 individuals, some of the coalitions have been harassed this past this past May Day, have been harassed for going to Cuba. But to make a long story short, the D.C. Metro Coalition, in solidarity with the Cuban Revolution, has been in existence for ten years or more. And we are having we've had a number of meetings, we've had programs uh, all over the city. At various locations, uh, we just had one about a year ago uh, at St. Stephen's Church, which was a turnout. I mean, it was the, the, the place was packed with people that were supportive and wanted to hear what was going on with Cuba. This year, we have decided to form another program, which will be held at Westminster Church, Presbyterian Church in Southwest D.C., and we'll be putting together a, we are putting together a program. We're meeting now. Our, our last meeting will be this coming Thursday uh, uh, to talk about speakers we're going to have. Uh, we are going to be showing the the film Maestra, um, which uh, talks about uh, the, the literacy program in Cuba. Um, uh, if, 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 if you probably know that in in Cuba, education is free, healthcare is free. Uh, so, and, and we'd be talking all night about the programs and how Cuba have organized its people uh, to combat all of the attacks, all of the things that are negative that goes on in Cuba. How Cuba organized to combat it um, when they have. Uh, for instance, just recently, uh, with the with the hurricanes and tornadoes that have been disruptive throughout the Caribbean and even some parts of the USA, how Cuba organizes itself to combat bat, bat the, the, uh, um, those disasters. Uh, so, as 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 I've been saying, we have been very supportive any way that we could help. And, doing, and, and including making monetary contributions, but we have been supportive in terms of educating people about Cuba. Our last effort has been trying to get the USA to take Cuba off the state-sponsored terrorist list. Now, you know how ridiculous that is. Cuba hasn't threatened anybody. It's been helping people, helping countries. During the, the the personal pandemic, Cuba was sending doctors all over Latin America to help these poor and struggling countries. Uh, but and the U.S. has been trying to prevent it. Has been trying to prevent it. So this is why we have formed the coalition of the D.C. Metro Coalition, and this is why we are giving programs uh, in support of the Cuban Revolution. We're having uh, we're having not only this program coming up this Friday, but on Saturday there'll be a number of coalition and individuals coming into town for the big rally, and there'll be hundreds here of people here in support of of, of Cuba and the Cuban Revolution. So if any of you are in town, come down to the White House. We'll be starting at one one o'clock, Lafayette Lafayette Square. 
and 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 the White House part of the Cuban Revolution. Uh, um, the program, as I said, we're having this Friday, and we hope that any of you are in D.C. at the time uh, to come down to Westminster Church is, uh, you know, it, it's not that difficult to find. Um, 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 and you'll hear it and be giving details on where people are. There'll be a number of people coming into town that will need housing. So we are trying to help and find housing to put them up. Uh, but this particular program, as I, as I said, is uh, in support of, of the Cuban Revolution. And we will, will try to give education as much information uh, that we can about what's, what's happening in Cuba and the way that you can support it. Um, individuals, organizations, coalitions, et cetera. Brother Kumar, let me stop you for one second and make a small correction for the listening audience. We know that uh-huh. y'all will be doing a program at Westminster Presbyterian Church, 400 I Street, Southwest D.C., and the program will yeah. be on June the 24th, and the 24th is a Saturday, not a Friday. I just want to make that correction. And the and the demonstration is on that Sunday, June the 25th. June the 25th. I'm, well, I got my dates. I'm sorry. And I'm, no and sometimes problem. I Sometimes uh, no, not looking at the calendar. It's yeah, that well it's the twenty twenty fourth and twenty fifth. Now if he, right. he's Saturday if that's, Sunday. If that's Saturday and Sunday, then that's that's what it is. I'm uh, I thank you for making that correction, Lee. Or making it clear. Okay. And the last thing come out, then we can let you go because we know you're busy and you're doing a lot of work and we talk about the coalition. We know that the propaganda and political education that you have, y'all been having on the region of Baltimore, D C and Virginia has been great. And we would like to commend y'all for all the work that y'all have done around Cuba because why is Cuba important to the struggles and the movements of Africa and African people? Can you talk a little bit about that connection and why Africans well, should Cuba, come and support our brothers well, and sisters in Cuba? As I, as I stated, even before the the, the, the Cuban Revolution, which, which, which occurred in 1959, we talk about Cuba winning its independence from 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 Spain in 1903. Cuba won its independence with with the brother uh, uh, Jose Marti and the African Revolution Antonio Macheo won its independence from Spain with an integrated army. Africans. Native, uh, uh, indigenous, you know, people, etc. Is how Cuban won its independence in 1903. When Cuba won its independence, who invaded Cuba? The USA. Turned it back. Turned back the the independence and revolution. Uh, it invaded Guantanamo with its military, and it's still there in Guantanamo. That's another thing we want to get the U.S. military out of uh, Gu- Guantanamo, but. The U.S. invaded Cuba um, and turned the clock back because Cuba, Guam, and uh, Puerto Rico, uh, the Philippines were colonies that the U.S. colonized, and Cuba was one. So Cuba, the Cuban people were under the dictatorship. Of the, one of the last one was Batista, 
but there were a number of other dictators that were oppressing the people. As, and I, and I, keep, I tell everyone, as long as Cuba was being run by the mafia and the gangsters, it was all right with the USA. Because everybody took every, you, you might have seen on TV an advertisement. When you want to take your vacation, go to Cuba. That's, that was before the revolution. Um, so uh, after Fidel Che and the people organized and overthrew, overthrew that government of uh, Fulgencio Batista, the U.S. came down on Cuba, especially when Cuba said it was going socialist and was in a line with the Soviet Union and other progressive countries around the world during that time, the U.S. came down on Cuba. And the U.S. has been attacking, and I'm saying physically attacking, the Bay of Pigs was one incident of of Cuba. Ever ever since the Cuba supported X number of Cubans out of Miami, if you know the history, uh, to invade Cuba. Of course, they were turned back. You know, by 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 Fidel, um, Che, and and other revolutionaries, they were turned back. But to make a long story short, the U.S. has been attacking Cuba physically. It, 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 you could not uh, when when whenever Fidel came here to make speeches, he would tell us uh, about the number of times they have uh, they 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 attacked him. Physically was on his on his life, and the people always ask him, well, "Why don't you have armor or, or guards to protect?" And, and Fidel, and I'm and I'm I'm talking from my experience, he would open up his shirt. He said, "Look, I have no scratches because of what the people protected him." But the, and this is the the, the 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 kind of struggle that Cuba has been going on for this many years, like prostitution, racism. I mean. You know, I could tell you about a number of things that that have happened to Cuba. Cuba had, in Cuba, Cuba had an all African political party, which was wiped out by whom? USA and its allies and its goons, gusanos. Uh, uh, so these are some. Just to make a long story short, and I know Lee had the time is short, but these are some of the things that Cuba has been struggling against along with the economic sanctions, the travel ban that the U.S. has imposed on Cuba for these many years, 62 years. And Cuba has been trying to help Cuba terrorize who? Cuba, <laughs> they have been trying to help. Matter of fact, when when they had the big uh, 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 hurricane, uh, the name of the hurricane that uh, about ten years, about twenty years ago. Hurricane Katrina. Hurricane Katrina. Katrina, yes. Cuba offered to send doctors here to help. I mean, this is how 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 Cuba has been with all any other countries, including the United. Of course, the U.S. turned it down, but uh, but this, this shows you the gesture during the pandemic. Cuba, Cuba. Doctors, like, for instance, education, health care in Cuba is free. Uh, doctors, we talk about some of the doctors that come out of Cuba, free. Some, uh, some are here are living in the USA. Matter of fact, we had one of the sisters um, uh, that spoke at, at our, our last program. She just got her doctorate. 
medical doctors in Cuba. So, I mean, we can go through a long discussion about how, and, we, you know, we have been recruiting uh, some of our, our youngsters that are educated to go to Cuba to get not only them, you don't have to get your medical doctor, you can get any doctor. I mean, you can get your education. People have gone to Cuba. I mean, they've gone through administration to get health care. But, they, I mean, it's just uh, some of the things that Cuba has been attempting and trying to do since the revolution. So, um, as I said, to make a long story short, we are, have been in support of Cuba through the All-African People's Revolutionary Party and through the D.C. Metro Coalition in solidarity with the Cuban Revolution. And presently you're organizing for the APIPGC. Am I correct? Yes, sir. Okay, let's yes, get the record straight. Hey, Brother Kamal, what I want you to do is tell us how KMX support the D.C. Metro Coalition as well as the APIPGC. And how can they get well, in contact uh, with you? So people might want to join, people might want to donate, people might want to make sure maybe you come and visit our community. One thing you didn't do, which you, which you are very humble, you're also a Pan-African revolutionary artist. You have done very, very beautiful artwork as to reflect the history and the culture of African people. Talk a little bit briefly about that, then we'll let you go on. Well, as I said, since this has been over 40 years ago, when Kwame Ture, Stokely Carmichael, if any of you remember the history, uh, was was the main organizer of the All-African People's Revolutionary Party, Kwame Ture, Bob Brown, and a, and a number of them, including Lee, for, for that matter. We were organizing, and this has, been, this has been over 40 years ago, before Kwame Ture transcended. Um, we have been organizing work studies, giving information, traveling back and forth to not only Cuba but to other countries um, to educate and give information and be supportive and let people know what we think about Cuba and its its people and its revolution. And um, most of the time, I mean, all of the countries that we are talking about um, have been supportive of the Cuban Revolution. The U.S. has been the one that has been intervened, has been trying to counteract uh, this movement. Um, it, has in, it has invaded other countries. It has assassinated other leaders. I mean, uh, we can, as I said, Lee, we can, we, we can all, we can go on for, for hours talking about this. But the All-African People's Revolutionary Party, I've been a part of uh, since 1978. Uh, the D.C. Metro Coalition in solidarity with the Cuban Revolution uh, has come into being over the last 10 years. To give you a little history, you know, uh, the longevity of, of, of the organization. But the AAPRP, now AAPRP GC, All African People's Revolutionary Party GC, again, economically, um, has, you know, Lee can tell you the history, you know, in, in, in this over the last 20 years. Um, and we have been struggling for the, 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 the same thing um, to um, educate, uh, organize, our people, and any other people, progressive people, that 
we can form alliance dealing with the oppression of capitalism, which, um, if you understand the nature of it, <laughs> we would we would have been enslaved if it wasn't for the capitalist system. We had to fight our way out of that. Can you imagine 400 years of free labor? What you could accomplish? What could you accomplish? But that's what the U.S. is. That's that's how we that's how we we're gotten where we are today. Um, and this is why you know we've been living in the USA for this this many years, and our people, our ancestors, have been here. But the struggle has been to liberate our people. The total liberation and unification of Africa and African people all over the world under scientific socialism. That's been our struggle, and that, that'll be the struggle till I'm gone, transcended, and hopefully the struggle of all African and progressive people around the world. Brother Kamal, give me a phone number, email, how they get in touch with D.C. Metro Coalition. Well, at this, uh, they can contact me, I mean, uh, or you for that matter. But yes, you can. I mean, my my number uh, is free to give Lee, um, and uh, my my email address. Uh, you can see some of the things artwork that I've that I've done, but um, uh, you can also see some of the political things that we are doing as a DC Metro Coalition uh, and the AEPRPTC. So, I mean, on that note, you're... Brother Cabal, on that note, we know you have to go. We thank you for your time. We want to just give you flowers while you're still here and appreciate the work that under your leadership, the D.C. Metro Coalition in support of the Cuban Revolution is doing. We'd like to encourage everybody on Saturday, June 24th, come out to the church, Westminster Presbyterian Church, 400 Ash Creek, Southwest D.C., and the big rally at 1 o'clock in Lafayette Park across from the White House demonstration which has been organized and coordinated by the National Network on Cuba. That's Sunday on the 25th at 1 p.m. Come and support the events. Come and support Cuba. When you support Cuba, you support Africa. And when you support Africa, you support yourself. So, Brother Kamal, we thank you for everything, and we'll stay in touch. Sure enough, we thank you. Brother Lee. All right, you, you just listened to Brother Kamal Benjamin. He wear many hats, one for the D.C. Metro Coalition and support of Cuba's solidarity. In support of the Cuban Revolution, as well as the All African People Revolutionary Party GC. Hey, let's just pause for the calls, take a break. When we come back, we'll continue our discussion on part two to play on Africa and African people. This is Brother Africa, and you're listening to Africa on the Move.
Black man, go on and get a catch scan. I had chain wrapped too straight, too tight. We get a backhand, there ain't no Batman in this black land. I wish a rich nigga would come and save the day and pave the way. Ain't no amazing grace. I blaze the haze to remain the faith. 20 years with my medicine, but they want to throw me away for that. Then turn around and legalize it. I wish being black was truly accepted. 400-year elephant in the room. This ain't a new deal. They've been treating us like animals. We in a zoo still. So let me tell you how I feel. Guilty Constant stumps common sense every day, y'all. Ignore the issues, look at the victim like it's their fault. As if a wagon ain't harassing, waiting for jaywalkers in front of the building, minding your business. Who's trying to pay your bills as if that wasn't to mention? Conjunction, junction, tell me what's your intention. Don't call them kings and treat them like some common folk. You a fighter like Ronda Rose. Rousey move around the rope. Rousey with a cloud of smoke. How do you do for Maui, bro? Traveling around the globe, you didn't know, but now you know. 
early morning rise since my end of alarm kicking. Birdman hand rubs, feeling my palms itching. I need a spiritual thought with top that's top notch. We watch Black Power Docs and study our chakras. Ooh, child, don't you ever come, come down. You acting like the sun ain't out. And we gon' cop a ticket and fly on out of here, fly on out. Ooh, child, don't you ever come, come down. You acting like the sun ain't out. Oh dear black man, tell me what happened You can't be low when your glow's everlasting Then when your ass been on ass been like a has been Raising the trap when the guard broke math and moves with a Mac 10 Not that nigga back then, but look now nigga I'm established, cut camera action I cut lines with my sad card, my bitch is packing Then I'm cutting in line with a bad boy, they caught him flagging Then huddle around him with a stat chart look You stay awake up feeling better than I ever been Check out my melanin, it's now the makeup for the mannequin That wants to be the same as the slave on the sedative You kill culture, I give knowledge, I spit stylish Crane kicks and Balenciagas and speaking science And bodegas that grow flavors was taught language Was taught to talk with the razor from having Spanish neighbors I fought the haters, court cases and lost paper Educated killers walking no ladies cross the street Turn back around, walk across and sell hard to a fee No turning back now, rent you and your kids gotta yeah. Black man rooted deep with the blood of a king Yeah, Black man roses arose from the cold concrete I eat, walk, talk, gritty Snitches get buck fifty One slice buck fifty Both get cut quickly Until they free goldie Nobody can fuck Talk with about Oh, child Don't you ever come, come down You actin' like the sun ain't out So we gon' cop a ticket and fly on out of here Fly on out Oh, child don't you ever come, come down You actin' like the sun ain't out Black became beautiful, then made America great again. See the page of history or see the grave and hate again. I'm from New York, the last state to free the slaves, and now we getting to the point where they rebooting Martin Payne in them. Black man, switch it up, just to be versatile. Why you always mean mugging? Man, it never hurts to smile. Make a record, break a record, get the record straight. I'm just trying to get it going, I'm trying to accelerate. Life alert. Welcome to my world, live and living color, stay low, word to J-Lo, out here with my fly girl, black man, black man, they give you whack answers, they robbing you with Batman, they give you Black Panther, when all our people dying, they think that we need a movie, but the box office don't break off the descendants of Huey, think about it, I'm cooler than a Coca-Cola polar bear, hold up, roll up something potent right before we go in there, maroon custom support that shit that touches the streets, puffing a leaf on a corner that gave me nothing but grief, don't come around my way if your whole message is how much you got If you ain't got no fucking shots Then don't touch the fucking rock Lucy still 50 cent Cool what kind of blunts you got You can lock a few niggas for hustling But nothing stops The judge just makes a hero And a young black boy lose their fucking pops And go on a robbing spree like fuck the ops Phone out of battery Black mirror word the Windex King of the table of contents Human index I handle everything myself The one man quintet Let's take it where it hasn't been yet Dear black man Worth life. One take. Fuck take.
can welcome you back to Africa on the Move. You can back and continue travel down this road of liberation as we discuss part two, the play on Africa and African people. Earlier, we discussed a book that was produced several presidential elections ago by Travis Smiley and Cornel West, The Rich and the Rest of Us. Interesting book, and what it does is, I think it's a good example how we continue to listen to these joggings, these play on words as it relates to Africa, African people in terms of not taking our people seriously, nor at home Africa. And we need to understand this language and this propaganda well psychologically that is being conveyed to us so we truly understand what the enemy is saying and doing. That's one of the intent of this program today. And let's continue to discuss a little bit more about some of the play on words and the play on Africa, African people as it relates to this book. I'll ask Brother Moses to weigh in on this issue. When we talk about this question of terminology, for example, they talk about the, the symbolism of Jim Crow as another form of representing slavery. And they talk about this whole question of these oligarchies that exist today, these few countries and few powerful families. And that's another means of saying they are your so-called modern-day kings and kingdoms. Brother Moses, what you think about the play on these words? I remember going for, from a directly slavery system to a system they talk about, a system of Jim Crow as a symbolism for this. Your response, Brother Moses. Yeah, we've um, we've gone from shadow slavery to uh, wage slavery, and uh, you know it's not been an easy road with racism and discrimination against us, redlining of housing, forcing into ghettos, and uh, the situation has been been horrible for for but we've been struggling and we we've made some progress uh relatively speaking uh and uh this struggle continues to be the gain the gain um full civil rights and uh which would only be possible under a scientific socialist um, government, I believe um, we need a revolution. We need socialism, and uh, and uh, that's the answer to the, the situation. Uh, um, I'll leave it right there. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses and Brother Haki. You know, when they talk about food insecurity. You talk about this whole question of food insecurity in areas where you find large segments or sections of African people and the so-called those who may be considered poor according to their standards. But when we talk about food insecurity, Brother Hackey, you have access to it. Sometimes you can still have food right within your community and you still don't have access to it because they price you out. You don't have enough means to even purchase the food. Speak to that phenomenon, Brother Haki, as relates to this question to play on Africa and African people. Brother Haki, your response. Yeah, well, you know, a few 
food insecurity is a factor of life. In fact, uh, one of the problems that the food insecurity in America continues to continues to increase. And the problem is this, Brother Africa. Uh, you know, you're absolutely correct when you talk about the fact that people simply don't have the means in terms of you know getting quality food. You're, you're absolutely correct. But more importantly, I think what people have to understand is that there is a systematic abuse that is taking place where those where, where food stamps, those those kind of kind of assistance people people need to survive. A systematic being cut, and these cuts are taking place in terms of ensuring, you know, uh, uh, the, the enrichment of the most, the most, the most, the most wealthiest people in society. So there's a fundamental hatred or, or disdain for poor people in society, and it manifests in terms of the kind of policies that uh, that uh, that are taking place in the society. Also, uh, one of the things interesting, you know, when you talk about food insecurity. And you talk about you know you know caloric intake or calories, how many calories you take in, you know per setting, you know um, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and so forth. One interesting thing about in terms of you know poverty is that often measured in terms of if you eat. There's a situation where if in, in a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of uh, 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 systems in terms of measuring poverty, if you according to the lot of these systems, if you eat one time a day, you're not considered impoverished. But if you look at it in terms of caloric intake or a lack of caloric intake in terms of lack of calories people consume, then clearly, you know, there's a problem in terms of, you know, uh, in terms of real poverty that exists, you know, in, in, your, in your urban areas. Uh, but then the bottom line about Africa, you know, when you talk about in terms of this, this, this lack of caloric intake, often in these urban areas you're talking about a situation where not only you have these, these food deserts, but you also have a situation where the kind of food that the people all have access to are both about non-nutritious but relatively cheap compared to more healthy kinds of food. And so they fundamentally put people in a very difficult position. So you have kids who go to school who are consistently eating a sugary diet, who are eating potato chips and those kinds of things can survive because those things are filling, but they're cheaper. But they do nothing in terms of, you know, uh, uh, strengthening uh, the kids' uh, uh, ability to focus, the kids' ability to concentrate, those kinds of things that are essential in terms of academic uh, prowess, prowess. Uh, so clearly, Brother Africa, it is an issue, but the problem is that this is not going anywhere. And unless people fundamentally see this as a, as a problem, it's not going to go anywhere. But these politicians are very, very clear that their bottom line term, their bottom line, is more important than the lives of poor people in the society. So as far as they're concerned, as long as they provide the rich, uh, 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 you know, policies that are favorable to the rich at the expense of the poor, they're willing to do such a thing because, in their mind, and do such a thing ensures a payday at the, end of, at, at the end of it all, it ensures a payday. And so that is what their priority is. So clearly this, this problem in terms of, of food insecurity is going leaps and bounds, and it's not going anywhere. It's, it's only getting progressively worse, and that's the bottom line. Thank you, Brother Hockey. Brother Maurice, one of the battles when we talk about the war against the poor is how they use media. Uh, some issues in terms of how they frame these issues or don't even address them at all serves as the basis of what they may define to the rest of the population, what is and what isn't important. Talk a little bit about the role of the media, how they participate in this oppression of poor people and perception of poor people from your perspective, Brother Maurice. Yes. Uh, yes, great question. So basically in, in regards to media, Let's look at it, right, for my uh, genre. And by the way, I just want to shout out, that was a, a beautiful hip, true hip-hop. 
song in comparison to what we got today of what you what you just played. Uh, I need to get that that name of that artist. That, that was that was um that was refreshing to hear that, that you know that that song. But anyhow, speaking of media, make my connection. Uh, media hip hop uh, was, was in, in the early beginning, and we I believe we talked about this before on this platform. Hip hop in its early beginnings was progressive. You had groups like Arrested Development, KRS One, um, oh man, De La Soul, all these sorts of people, Act Clan, Public Enemy, what have you, um, challenging the establishment, challenging corporations. You had these type of uh, these type, this type of hip hop and corporations itself saw, hey man, and capitalists saw themselves. They do what we need to do as socialists. They perform. <clears throat> A, a a a a a attribute into a negative, and that's what they did with hip hop. They performed this thing of hip hop, this and that's what they do with a lot of things. But they performed this thing of hip hop in regards to media, and made it about uh, consumption, alcohol consumption. Seagrams um, had to deal with Sony. These execs, they worked a partnership. Your if 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 your music, these executives, these are the capitalists talking amongst themselves. Uh, Seagrams and Sony or Seagrams and, 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 and Tommy Boy, what have you, records, they say, hey, man, my music, if your music, if you get artists that promote this type of thing in the music, the alcohol, the balance, the glamour, man, Bob, so, so follow me now, Bob, uh, his, his prison and, and, and industry would boom. <laughs> so they would just commit crime. These are the type of, my point is, these are the type of conversations they have when we're talking about these are the influences of how they use media to make a profit. And they use it all for us. They use it all for our culture. Nike, uh, Jordan. Oh, Michael Jordan. That 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 they're going, we're gonna use him. We're gonna use Spike Lee as Mookie. They use all these types of these celebrities. Um, the same thing. They took a Malcolm X and just and made him into a hat, an X hat. We think because we had on an X hat, we was we was doing something. That X hat was putting money into uh these to, to organizations or corporations like New Era Hat. And and we got new era hats, the city caps, or what have you. That's what the axe hat was doing. Um, those of you of, of you all who are familiar with media in the nineties from the Malcolm X movement, uh, propaganda, or what have you. So they use this media as a consumption tool, and they prey on our um, our, 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 our miseducation or our our um, internal. Uh, self, low self-esteem or conscious, self-conscious uh, things we may have among ourselves. They play on that, and they may shopping into a a a stress relief. Oh, I gotta go shopping. Da da da. We, we go shopping, um, and to fulfill a, a consumption need, we all are a victim to it. Um, you feel like you gotta just uh, spend money when you when you go off on vacation. Spend money. Well, have you? This is what the media does, and that's for social media. And that to ramble on and on. As for social media, they call it social media. Well, hell, what's social about it? The social aspect is is very minimum to in, in comparison to to the capitalist uh, aspect or to the bourgeoisie aspect of the social media tool. Every time you get on social media, they have agor- uh, 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 I, I struggle with the word algorithms, <laughs> but y'all, y'all know what I'm saying. But I struggle with the word. You have those uh, algorithms, if I'm saying it correctly. On controlling pop-ups of of playing on your on, on your um consumption your previous purchases on Amazon or eBay whatever 
um, whatever, how you said, uh, 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 virtual spending or whatever you have, whatever spending you have done on these websites, Amazon, eBay, uh, Etsy, all these um, websites, they flash up things. And not on those websites, other in- business entities, they flash up items. Even if they know your consumption on social media is Pan-African, right, they put up clothes, melanated. They put up clothes like Africa, Embrace Your Roots, and $50 shirt, $50 hoodie. They put these things on platforms, Facebook, uh, Instagram, Tumblr, what have you, these pop-ups for you to entice you into getting your money, spending your money, and not making a profit. So we're talking about social. That's not social. When we talk about something social, we're talking about something that's embracing humanity, that's something that's, that's, that's building humanity, that's um, freeing humanity. That is not freeing humanity. It's, 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 it's developing others. It's putting us, again, in this cycle of getting caught up in the beast, in the machine of capitalism, once again. Um, you know, they're building your brand. Everybody got a brand, that same brand that that slave master gave our ancestors. We want to build our brand. That brand, you know, we, you know, I'm gonna build my brand. I'm gonna go viral on <laughs> Instagram. We're gonna want to go viral. That's 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 what people, you know, that's the falsification of thinking that's a movement on social media. They created this thing with the black, and I'm a I'm a I'm a I'm a conceit. But you had this thing with uh. Black Lives Matter hashtag. It was a hashtag, a hashtag, you know. I understand what they're saying. You can't, I don't want to get it conflicted because you can't, or you can use that too as a sense of organizing communication or what have you, but that's not where it it, 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 it ends. You know, the same thing with music. You use that as a organizing to a rallying, rallying point. That's not where it, where it ends. You have to end, it, it, it basically ends and begins with us politically organized, even these blocks our radios, this, this is a platform of propaganda to educate, to political, politically educate, but hopefully lead to organization, to hopefully lead to the masses of listeners on this platform to get in the organization. If they're not in the organization, to recruit and, and others, others to get in a political revolutionary organization, pan-African socialist organization that is for the people that want to that want to that want to eradicate capitalism, neocolonialism, feudalism, and all its forms. What up, queen? What up, king? No, we need to scratch that out. What up, brother? What up, sister? What up, comrade? What up, freedom fighter? What up, soldier? Um, these are the things that we need to uh, the titles we need to abide by. I understand that the feudalism in Africa we kind of romanticize, but we need to get up out of that because those some of those feudalists. Um, nations in Africa was that led to our downfall of us um, going into slavery. I'm just saying this history itself. So we got to get rid of that feudalist mindset and, we, and, 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 and get rid of this capital, capitalist mindset. I know the question was about media, but all of that ties into that. That media, that television, that radio station, that program, right? Let's program. Let's tell our vision, right? Khalid Muhammad was saying this one, tell our vision. Uh, take the television, throw it in the trash can, uh, and it's not the television itself. It's the it's the, it's the majority of the propaganda, the movies, the music videos, all all of it, man. That's 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 what it is. That's why we have to develop as as I'm sorry, as socialists and pan Africanists, we have to develop these type of media platform platforms like Africa on the Move, 
um, for our uh, uh, for the masses and for the working class. This is the type of media uh, that you need to um, consume on a daily basis so we can get further to our liberation and freedom. Join a political revolution organization today, yesterday. Thank you so much. Thank you, Brother Mavi. Sister Eleanor, you know, sometimes we got to be real careful. We have to follow the the, the, the the game that's being played by the usage of words and what is defined, what is and what is not. For example, when one look at the concept of poor and how they create criteria, depends on when you are talking about what is and what is not poor, you begin to wonder that a game is being played. For example, when you look at the housing crisis in these big cities, and for my understanding, I think in, New, in, in Washington, D.C., I was talking to a young lady who was dealing with housing crisis in, in Washington, D.C., and she stated that these so-called new um, subsidized houses, in order for the poor to get one, they must have an income between 100000 to $150,000. That's what they define as poor in order to qualify for the housing. Can you speak to that phenomenon, how they define what is and what is not? Sister Eleanor, your response. Uh, that's an interesting phenomenon. The developers have really uh, redefined this thing of affordable housing. What they do is take the AMI, the AMI, and if the uh, uh, average uh, area income is 200000 then they say, well, we took 25% off, so if you earn 75% uh, of the AMI, that's affordable housing. 50% of the AMI, percent of the AMI. But keep in mind with an AMI, uh, 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 when you're talking about an AMI like this, a uh, person that's earning 30000 can't even, uh, 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 well, may be able to afford some of these places. And I think when you talk about affordable housing, you need to start right there at the bottom. You have to look at this social security supplemental income that people are living on where they earn a, 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 a unbelievable where they're living on $10 a day of Social Security and the rest of their income is supplemented by Social Security supplemental income, but that does not reach 900 a month. So I think when you talk about affordable housing, you need to include housing for people from zero of the AMI up to uh, 50% of the AMI. I think if you, uh, you know, and I think it should just be a, a matter of practice that uh, the 75% and the 50% of the AMI folks have been uh, included. Real affordable housing has to cover the rock bottom for. And what I also think is that the uh, uh, housing, you have to have opportunities to purchase that housing. Um, right now, if you supposedly have a voucher, uh, I believe if you earn 30000 the family, they could buy a house with that voucher. 
So, you know, people need to look in that because the only way to get out of being a a prisoner uh, in a a uh, uh, quasi-low minimum security prison, that's what these houses are like. Uh, You go into a senior citizen building that's, quote, affordable, you have to have ID. You have to leave at a certain time, and you're greeted by uh, a policeman at the door. We used to call those people rent-a-cops, but they're not rent-a-cops anymore because as our country militarizes the police and becomes more factual now on site, I have the authority of the police. So uh, the whole phenomena of the AMI, and this is a a national um, issue, Brother Africa. It's not only in the District of Columbia. These vouchers are a federal program through the Department of Housing. And the idea of uh, the developers start out saying we're creating affordable housing, but unless it's codified who you're going to serve, um, uh, it ends up being non-existent. I just want to make another comment too. We um, I, uh, made a mistake. I made a mistake in terms of the time of the program at the Westminster Church. It's from six to nine p.m. It is from six to nine p.m. So I made a mistake. But back to the issue of of, of housing. The whole idea of using the AMI as a way of determining affordable housing and taking 75% of the AMI and calling that affordable because that person you're letting move in, or 50% of the AMI, that lets you know how outrageous the housing prices are. They have been artificially increased and have created a crisis And the number of unhoused people in this country is phenomenal. When you saw in L.A., uh, our audience probably remember when Judge Carter in L.A. actually held court on the street with the homeless and, and saw how people are living in these tents. And he set up a mandate where the city had to provide housing for these folks. And he started out with the women and the children and then the men, not in five years, not in two years, but he talked about a matter of months. Now, homeless uh, homeless is a ridiculous term. These people aren't homeless. They're citizens of the planet Earth if not citizens of the United States of America. And the reality of being unhoused talks about the depraved, uncouth, ill-mannered way the imperialists operate, that they're comfortable with seeing their fellow human beings lay on the street. And in historic black communities, see not one black face and complain when the youth stand on the corner because it's as close as they can get to grandma's house. 
because it's been gentrified and either uh, one family lives in it or gentrified and turned into four or five houses. And this gentrification not only affects renters, Brother Africa, it also affects homeowners. Whatever affects one will affect the other because your taxes uh, become a new mortgage. You know, at the house down the street, you you know you you earn thirty thousand and been living comfortably and have a, a a car and you don't need SNAP benefits. Your family's owned the house for forty years, but suddenly the guy across the street moves in. Name is Jeff Bezos, and he tears up the place. Well, you live within, not across the street, but within four or five blocks of his place, suddenly your your taxes go up 300%. Now, they have these things called homestead tax credits. But, but what happens is they're kind of slippery, too, like those vouchers. If the primary residence of that home leaves, often that tax credit is lost. And the reality is is that developers are given, as I said earlier, public property for nothing. Property that was S cheated or where people died, you know, S cheated means I think uh, without a will or whatever, goes to the city and developers can are taking those properties for $250 or less. I think we need to reinstate the homestead program where you have to have $500 in the bank and a secured bank account and take some uh, workshops to learn how to manage money and, and, and the responsibilities of home ownership right down to teaching the people to sleep the sidewalk because they damn sure need to teach the gentrifiers that they need to sweep their sidewalks. They expect some poor person to come along and sweep in the nation's capital. When people who live in the nation's capital by law have a responsibility for sweeping their sidewalk, commercial properties have a responsibility for sweeping their sidewalk and keeping it clean up to 16 inches in the street. So, you know, the whole thing becomes about education and civic responsibility. And I want to say one thing about the Cubans. I would do an annual neighborhood cleanup. And the Cuban embassy, and I was an advisory neighborhood commissioner in the district, and the Cuban embassy were part of the most supportive group for the neighborhood cleanup. And at that time, there were at least still six black families that lived in what was historically a segregated black neighborhood. They were the people that would come out and clean up and remove the garbage and make a day of it. So, you know, they're not only helping, uh, they're helping residents of the District of Columbia right now by doing those sort of activities. It, 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 it's Cuba, is, is, Cubans are phenomenal. 
They make phenomenal neighbors, and they are our neighbors in this United States. They live 90 miles away from us on their small island, and we need to lift this embargo, and everyone needs to come out on Saturday the 24th and Sunday the 25th. Uh, starting at Lafayette Square on Saturday, on Sunday the 25th, and uh, moving forward to the State Department. And as Brother Kamal, the great revolutionary, and Brother Moses had said, you know, uh, the Westminster Church is where to be. And as you said, Brother Africa, on Saturday from 6 to 9 p.m., But the housing crisis is being fostered, I think, by um, uh, uh, the voter, you know, the um, election process and campaign finance. You know, it used to cost uh, five tickets to become the mayor in the District of Columbia. Honestly, five tickets, you know what I'm saying? And now... It's a seven-figure proposition. Those are the folks. Where is that money coming from that um, Sister Muriel Bowser is receiving? Well, everyone in the district, if they have the strength and the opportunity, need to go to 2014th Street to the Reed Center and the Campaign Finance Office and look at who is funding our politicians. And we as community leaders and organizations need to aggressively confront those folks and confront these developers because this is not affordable housing. This is welfare for the rich, welfare for developers. Now, these income tax credit properties where you get a tax rebate for housing the poor, the poor is earning $55,000 a year in my community, and every year they have to come down and line up in front of another poor person or they give you an appointment and produce your income tax or your W-2 to certify what you earn. So this is an incredible uh, fascist kind of operation. Your privacy is extremely invaded. And they do physical inspections of your home. So where is the peace, quiet, and enjoyment that a person should have an opportunity to uh, receive? It's it's non-existent. And right now, the developers themselves are using vouchers. Someone reached out to me in the District of Columbia about uh, 11 months ago. I just don't have the health to be involved where uh, a developer had his eye on a Connecticut Avenue property. They'd taken everything from the blacks. And the attorney working for the tenant association in his complicated retainer didn't care who paid him. So the developers were screwing the old or taking advantage of the elderly owners of this rent control property 
while displacing all of the residents, and they were using the Section 8 folks to do this because the Section 8 folks are saying, yeah, I'll take $30,000 and I can buy me a car and I'll move to another place. They're like, schools. I'm going to finish up. It's like what you see in Turkey. You know how there's the problem with the Kurds. Well, the military, who's in the military? The Kurds. Who's killing the Kurds? The Turkish government. So what that means is Kurds in the military have to go out and kill their brothers and sisters. It's like the opening of this show. When you you say the blacks have to line up, slavery has been reinstated. Well, there is an an institutionalized process that's going on in this country that is outrageous, and it was a part of this privatization that began with the, quote, Ronald Reagan revolution, where less government was better, and the wealthy should be left alone. And they receive more money from our government than anyone else and pay the least taxes. You saw where Jeff Bezos paid zero taxes. He alleges only to make $86,000 a year. All right, we can conclude with that. Institutionalized housing is what we have right now. And they're calling that affordable housing because they're basing it on the AMI. Thank you very much, my dear. Brother Moses, you get the last shot at today's theme, part two, the play on Africa and African people. When you look at this discussion from Trevor Smiley and Kanye West, their book, The Rich and the Rest of Us, they talk about this, this, this whole question of when politicians talk about their focus is on the middle America, middle America, and middle class. And what are they really saying to the rest of the people, Brother Moses, from your own perspective? Yeah, well, Tyler, this book um, came out during the Obama administration, to get it historically correct. And so, and right now, um, in order to Get a perspective. Uh, Cornel West is running for president under the Green Party ticket, uh, and um, so anyway, the contradictions are there. Uh, uh, he's pointing out, you know, the vast discrepancies between the wealth and the poor, and etc. Uh, uh, the 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 struggle, you know, is is to um, Gain a revolution, and uh, hopefully he'll be pro- he'll be doing propaganda and agitation uh, in that direction uh, as his campaign. Uh, uh, we we are, we're in a bind, and uh, um, they they pointed out you know a lot of the contradictions during the Obama administration, and uh, and you know hopefully we learn some lessons from that that period in time. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. This is Africa on the Move, and when we come back, we have Brother Haki. You have a press announcement he will make on upcoming events for this weekend. 
have to go to move. We have some announcements to share with you, and we'll get our final thoughts from each of our political panelists and analysts on our theme tonight, part two, to play on Africa and African people. This is Brother Africa. We're on Africa on the Move. We'll be right back.
come and join us. Also, we want to make everyone aware of this is a post to so a post African Liberation Day transition period. If you haven't participated in some of the beautiful events that took place this past African Liberation Day under the banner of the All African Peoples Revolutionary Party GC, AAPRPGC, please check out their website at www.a-aprp-gc.org. Please check that out. And last but not least, we're going to make this announcement as it relates to this important upcoming event for this weekend, the 24th on Saturday uh, at the Church of Western Minnesota Presbyterian Church and a rally out at the White House at Lafayette Park. There's an announcement, a public service announcement from WPFW. We have Brother Haki to share that with you. Will you please share that with our listening audience, Brother Haki? Listen, we're just going to re- I'm just going to reiterate uh, to encourage people to come out to support the National Group, uh, Network on Cuba on June 25th in front of the White House to support uh, the, the uh, existence of Cuba in terms of uh, its proliferation of socialism. Now, for more information, you can, you can text them at capital N, capital N, capital O, capital C, dot org, N-O-C dot org. Also, African movement is a station on using information as a tool of liberation. We encourage our listeners and supporters to support this radio program by sending a donation by cash app to, to dollar sign Lee C. Rob, that's capital L, small, lowercase E-E-C-R-O-B, that's dollar sign, capital L, lowercase E-E-C-R-O-B, or Zelle. And for, if for any additional information, you can contact us at African Awareness Association, all one word, number two, at gmail.com. And we thank you for your support. Okay, on the announcement, let's go to our final closing thoughts. We're going to start out with Brother Moses. Your final thoughts for tonight on the theme, part two, the play on Africa and African people. Your final thoughts, Brother Moses. Thank you, thank you, Brother Africa. I just want to get it clear that um, we're struggling for a government um, um, politics is about government and um, the attitude of the government towards freedom and liberation, etc. And so, you know, I'm, I believe in a Marxist government. Um, Marxism is the, is the ideology to end all ideologies. It is not a system or closed set of ideas. Lenin pointed out that a concrete analysis of concrete conditions is the life and soul of Marxism. That is why it's the ideology to end all ideologies. Reality is its core, not an idea per se. Yet there is a body of works that prove to be correct, and correct verdicts should not be reversed. And hence there is the ideology called Marxism-Leninism, mouse tongue thought. We inherit it, and we will defend and develop Marxism-Leninism as it applies to the specific situation here in the heart of the beast. Racism and bigotry of any sort had no place in the Marxist-Leninist party. The LGBT movement is our movement, E-R-A-S. And so, I, I, again, it's about uh, government and government's attitude towards, towards people, and, and that takes and that includes the LGBT movement. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. Next, Sister Eleanor, your final thoughts. Well, uh, my final thoughts this evening is um, I'd like to just 
briefly speak about the area median income that HUD sets throughout the country. In the District of Columbia, what makes it so bad, and in other areas, is that, especially the district, that it includes some of the wealthiest counties in the nation uh, or places in the nation, such as Prince George's County, Alexandria, uh, and uh, McLean, Virginia, and these areas. And it really works to the disadvantage of folks. And the area median income in the district, consequently, is uh, about $109,000 for a family of four. It's $76,000 for a family of one. And uh, so you can call uh, a a property that is 80% of the AMI affordable, 60% of the AMI is considered very low uh, income. I believe uh, the 30% may be the one that is the the, the, the very low income. But uh, uh, a household of four earning 30% of the AMI uh, earns about $32,000, a year. So this just let you know how things are out of control. And uh, they're building in Shah, which was a historically African neighborhood. Instead of saving these extraordinary row houses, these beautiful eight- and nine-room homes, they're tearing them down, building these uh, 200-unit uh, uh, apartment buildings where they're creating this affordable housing that is between 80, 60, and 30% of the AMI. And there are many working families who do not earn the even 30% of the AMI. There's only the mother and father working, the children do not work, and they work at very low-wage jobs. So um, I, I, I just wanted to let people know that the area medium income is, is something that HUD comes up with and is used throughout the nation, and it really works uh, to the disadvantage of working-class people and needs to be reexamined. And when we're giving away public property, we need to give away some of the units in that public property by lottery and create home ownership for folks. And Thank I'd you, like Sister Eleanor. Next, we'll go to Brother Brother Maurice. We'd like to have your final thoughts for tonight, Brother Maurice. Yes, thank you so much, Brother Africa, for another informative show. Um, it, it, it was it was it was good to be in the presence again with uh, Brother Haki, uh, Sister Eleanor, and Brother Moses, Brother Anthony. Please feel better. In the words of Brother Anthony, we have to organize more than ever. We have to political educate ourselves, embrace scientific socialism as an economic system, Pan Africanism as our as our uh, philosophy way of living. Um, 
So that's that's where we at right now. Um, back was ne- back was never forever. We have to politi- politically educate more than ever. Um, join a revolutionary political organization last week. Thank you so much. Thank you, Brother Marius, Brother Haki. Your final thoughts as we end the topic part two, the play on Africa and African people. Yeah, I just I just want to inject, you know, some, some realism in terms of the discussion because I think one of the things we have to understand and we can never divorce ourselves from is the reality is that the econ- this, this capitalist economy is in decline. And uh, un- until we fundamentally understand what that means, uh, we continue to be optimistic in the face of reality to suggest that the possibility in terms of doing things in the interest of people simply is not attainable simply because the economy is not, it simply doesn't have the resources in terms of achieving what we would like to see. So we have to fundamentally understand the disintegration of the capitalist society. And, of course, the people in the power fundamentally understand the reality. Uh, for example, the per capita income currently is something like $32,000 for middle-class people, down from $72,000 just two years ago. So when we talk about this per capita income, essentially we're talking about averages in terms of uh, as a percentage of the national national income. Uh, of course, when we look in terms of people making over millions of dollars a year, of course their per capita income is much higher than, than the middle class individuals. And so, again, we're just talking about averages. But in terms of averages, I think what we have to understand is that when we talk about for middle income people, a decline, a decline from, from $72,000 to $32,000 per capita in, income as an average, is what we're saying is that the access to capital per se is simply not attainable for the masses of people, particularly those people who find themselves, quote, unquote, in the middle class. Earlier, I talked about the fact that um, the, uh, the, the, the growing number of, uh, of individuals in the middle class who find themselves currently, you know, and, uh, and among the ranks of the poor. And one of the things we have to understand, because we're talking about capitalism, uh, one of the things we have to understand that whereas you and I think that such a thing is, is such a thing is is uh, as a fluke, we see it somehow as being an anomaly. The bottom line is, and just in terms of how capitalism works, then we understand it's not an anomaly, it's not a fluke. This is in fact the way capitalism works. This is what we have to fundamentally understand. And so when we talk about things like in terms of, you know. Uh, you know, interjecting vouchers, or we talk about things like in terms of, uh, 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 in terms of the terms of uh, making homes affordable. What we have to fundamentally understand is that if the system itself is bankrupt, then the bottom line is that it cannot achieve those things that we like to see. We have to fundamentally understand that reality, and because we understand that reality, organization, development organization, becomes key in terms of not only addressing those 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 problems. Or being strategically in a position, you know, uh, you know, to 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 advance to advance to, to to advance your concerns in a way in which the government is compelled to listen to what you have to say, because right now they got a systematic divided. As long as we remain divided, based on class, ethnicity, gender, and so forth and so on, as long as that division exists, the people in position of power understand that they're in complete control. But more importantly. If we don't fundamentally understand, you know, that the economy is in decline, if we somehow are optimistic, that we think, in fact, that you know, we can achieve 
you know, these, 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 these incredible results, despite the fact the economy is in decline, then we deceive in ourselves. Actually, when we do that, when we, when we, when we, when we articulate this, this notion that, in fact, that the possibility exists that we can actually impact housing policy in society with our organization, to the extent that we articulate that message, we disempower people. We, we tell people, believe, we get people to believe in something that, in fact, is not factual. And so let's be very, very clear in terms of the, the challenges that we face in society. You know, because it's, it's, I, I take no prowess in terms of talking about these, these issues in terms of I know are very, very depressing. I know these issues are, are very, very, uh, uh, very, very stressing. That's no question about that. But, you know, one thing I always say, you know, the thing is that we have to understand that, you know, as much as people would, would want pragmatism in their lives, the bottom line, we're up against a system that, that, that offers no possibility in terms of pragmatism. This is hardcore capitalism. And if people in the position of power are going to do any and everything in terms of creating policy or innovating policy that's in, that is in their best interest, do they care about the economy decline? Hell no, because they'll just pick up and go somewhere else and start all over again. Are they concerned about people that don't have jobs? Hell no. They're not, it's not their concern. As a matter of fact, they live in a system that says that your greed is justifiable. And so, therefore, for them, they have no problem for it. This is why they conveniently turn around and blame poor people for the predicament we find themselves in and saying that you are, in fact, the result of your own problem. And so all the systematic ills that exist in society are never dealt with. As a matter of fact, not only the systematic ills in society never dealt with, the media won't even allow people to even articulate the issues. So you, mainstream media comes up with positions in terms of justifying why poverty should exist, but then, then when, when someone comes along with a, with a different narrative in terms of why it doesn't have to exist, they never get they, they, they never see the time, the time of day. The media simply would not allow them to articulate an alternative view in terms of the question, this question in terms of poverty. Earlier, we talked about the fact that you got, um, you know, you got all these these these, these politicians, you know, over the, certainly over the last over the last fifteen years, last twenty years, none of these politicians, not a, not a one of them, over the last twenty years, have have actually have actually talked about the issue of poverty in society. How is it in a society where the poverty is the fourth largest killer in, on the planet in the United States? The fourth largest killer in the United States, poverty. Why is given that statistic? Why isn't there some kind of urgency in terms of addressing poverty? Why do politicians even refuse to use the word poverty, even if they discuss it? Why is it that moderators even refuse to even raise the question about poverty in society? They're telling you something. They're telling you, they're telling you that the society is broke. They're telling capitalism is in decline. They're telling you. And again, I don't want to stress people out, but you've got to understand, as capitalism declines, you've got to understand Strategically, people in position of power got no other recourse but to create, to create strategy which is going to protect them from the, from the masses of people. In other words, as, as, as the economy declines, there's a disincentive for people in position of power to allow certain information to get out. Their only play is to make sure the continuation of the, of the division that exists between the people. In the process of that division, what we have, have to fundamentally understand it's simply not, it's not, not simply to do division for division's sake. It's also the, the racial aspect in terms, of, in terms of being an intimate part of that division because racism short-circuits the ability to actually think about issues. You've got lots and lots of poor people out, white, white, poor, poor white people out here, you know, who are adamantly opposed to the things that we've done in this program. 
you would think that poor white folks would say, listen, I support what these people are saying because I found myself in a similar boat. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. And even though we want to believe that, in fact, that certain political systems uh, don't reject racism, that's bullshit. Because the bottom line is that a lot of racist Marxists, there are a lot of bigoted Marxists, a lot of Marxists who refuse to be able to concrete reality that are facing people, particularly as it relates to African people. So this bullshit about some, that somehow that Marxism cleanses people of their racism or their bigotry is absolutely bullshit. And nobody should run around believing that, in fact, that because of a political line, that that, that, that somehow uh, prevents people from internalizing racism. It doesn't. Racism all around us is real, is tangible. It does impact the way people think and the way people behave. It's intimately involved in terms of resistance. One minute, Yeah, yeah, one minute. Yeah, so, so it's intimately intertwined in terms of uh, a lot of attitudes that manifest itself in terms of so-called progressive white left. That's not a question of division. That's a question of reality. The question for African people, we have to fundamentally understand that given that reality, we got no other, no, no other recourse but to organize the bill and not worry about, you know, you know, all of these other kinds of distractions in terms of race, class, and so forth and so on. We got no, we got no choice. That's the reality, and I close with that. Brother Africa, have a good night. You do the same. We got to end of this particular role, part two, to play on Africa and African people. Again, we'd like to wish all the Father happy Father Day, and we have to thank everyone for allowing us to come to their homes, where we can speak truth to the powerful and the powerless. Join us next week at 7 p.m. Eastern time. And also remind people that African Women's Association is organizing its February tour for July 2024. So if you plan on wanting to go to um, go to Cuba, come and join African Women's Association. Email them at African Women's Association 2 at gmail.com. Until next time, on Africa on the Moon, let all, let all of us, all of us strive to go forward Back with Neville. Remember, we said Pan Africanism is the key. We set all Africans free. Join us next week. Until then, we will continue to travel down the road of liberation by using music as a tool for liberation. We see you next week. This has been Africa on the Move.
it no more From where the bombs that they used to drop on Vietnam Still as children born, deformed, eight months before they gone I'm from where they lost the true meaning of the Quran Cause heroin is not compatible with Islam And niggas know that, but throw that poppy seed anyway Cause that fool's rap parachute does not come every day I'm from where people pray to the gods of their conquerors And practically every president's a money launderer From where the only place democracy's acceptable Is if America's candidate is electable And they might even have a black president But he's useless Cause he does not control the economy Stupid lock and load your gun Where I'm from the third world Sign to many places But I'm third world born Gorillas didn't run Where I'm from the third world Son, you polluted everything And now the third world's gone Water's poison Where I'm from the third world Son, 700 children died by the end of the Revolution of come Where I'm from the third world Son, constant occupation Leaves the third world I'm from where the Catholic Church is some racist shit They help Europe and America rape this bitch They pray to white Spanish Jesus whose face is this But never talk about the black Pope Galatius I'm from where Soviet weapons still decide elections Militaries like the Mafia, you pay for protection Catamite sex clauses with the country sells And rich white businessmen make the best clientele I'm from where they too pussy to come film survivors And they murder Coca-Cola union organizers I'm from where the justice system is stopped Fuck government, niggas, politics over perico Rebelde conocido, enterrado vivo Como otro argentino desaparecido Cause Rico laws don't apply to the CIA And motherfuckers make sneakers for a quarter a day I'm from where they overthrow democratic leaders Not for the people, but for the Wall Street Journal readers From where blacks, indigenous peoples, and Asians Were once slaves of the Caucasians And it's amazing how they trained them To be racist against themselves in the place they was raised and who kept us caged in destroyed our culture and said that you civilized us Raped our women and when we were born you despised us Gentrified us, agent provocateur divide us And crucified every revolutionary messiah So I'ma start a global riot that not even your fake Anti-communist dictators can keep quiet Fuck your charity medicine trying to murder me The immunizations you gave us were full of mercury So now I see the third world like the rap game soldier Nationalize the industry and take it over Lock and load you're going where I'm from the third world Sign to many places but I'm third world born Gorillas didn't run where I'm from the third world Son, you polluted everything and now the third world The water's poison where I'm from the third world Son, 700 children died by the end of the Revolution of come where I'm from the third world Son, constant occupation leaves the third world home.